That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. B F F T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. That's right. Welcome in, bald faced truth, on this fabulous Friday. March 3rd, 2023. Going to be with you. Judah will be in for John Cazzano, JC, down in Vegas covering the uh, Pac-12 Women's Basketball Tournament. And, uh, you, of course, you can find all his coverage at johncazzano.com. Following him on socials at BFT. You can follow me at Judah Newby at 750 The Game, of course. The flagship of this year, BFT Radio Network. Also live in Eugene, Klamath Falls, and Roseburg as well. And, of course, uh, streaming on your streaming platforms of choice. Stephen Vaughn spitting it behind the glass as well. Stephen, what's up, dude? How you doing? I'm doing well, Judah. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Starting to pour outside. Didn't see that coming. Except you kind of always see it coming uh, at least around it's these not, parts. Yeah, at least it's not like frozen. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the good part. Last week was weird. <laughs> Real weird. I had to chain up on Wednesday last week. Did I kind of this? You did, but I kind of would have loved to have seen it. You could have, because it was visible right outside your window. Are you good at those type of things? No, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, average, you know, if not mediocre. I'm or to below- borrow a word that you used earlier this week, I am mundane. I am very below average at that stuff. So yeah. uh, it would have been funny if I had to do it. I bought chains at uh, Les Schwab like a year and a half ago. It was December of 21, and they got this thing where if you don't use your chains, you can you know, return them and, uh, you know, in the springtime and be fully, you know, refunded as long as you didn't use them and they're in good condition. I fully intended to do that and forgot for a year. And then the snow comes down last Wednesday. I get done doing talk timbers. I walk out the studio and I get out to my car and it's just absolutely covered. We got motorcycles flipping over. We got cars ramming into each other in downtown Portland. And I'm just thinking, what's the wise thing to do here? Should I just muscle up and try to get this five-speed Toyota Corolla sport manual out of downtown Portland? Probably not. A younger Judah, a less experienced Judah, definitely would have tried to do that. But I know better uh, in some cases. I said, let me see if I still have those chains that I bought at Les Schwab 14 months ago. I did. Have I ever put chains on my vehicle myself before? No. Did I look up YouTube videos while I'm in my car with the heat running to try to make sure I knew how to do it right? You bet your ass I did. And I got them on and I drove home. Took me an hour. But that's better than uh, what it took a lot of people that day. Yeah, I mean, an hour in retrospect seems like not that much compared to a lot of people. I was lucky, so you know, you know, I was here a little bit later, so most of the traffic had kind of died down when I left. Now the the roads were not great, but uh, you know, me as a daring individual, I just I just just drive it home. No yeah. issues. Nah. No just, chains. No nothing. Are no all wheel drive. What are you? No, we're in a uh, Toyota Camry. It's uh, you know. And you slid around. You were fine. No, oh, we're fine. 
Get out to uh, the the Milwaukee area. Yeah, Milwaukee, crossing the bridge over there, McLaughlin. It was weird. Last week when I was driving, it was like, you know, a complete blizzard. And as soon as you got past Tualatin, and I'm in Wilsonville, it was nothing that particular time of day. It was like, once you got to Tualatin, it was like heavy, heavy snow. Once you got south of that to 205 and then Wilsonville, like it was completely nothing. So I'm driving with my chains on like normal pavement at that time. I'm like, oh, well, this isn't great for the roads, but... Uh, what can you do? And then, of course, even Wilsonville got uh, hit pretty hard. So, yeah, I'll take this natural rain ahead of, uh, you know, what, what we had with the blizzard last week. Uh, it did get me wondering, though, like March kind of snuck up on me. I'll be honest. Like I've such I've been in NFL mode all the way through the Super Bowl. Even the week after the Super Bowl, I'm still thinking about the Super Bowl. And I, I'm thinking about all these things, you know, related to the NFL. And I look up and now it's it's March and that means basketball. That means college hoops. That means uh, ducks hoops, beeves hoops. You know, for a little while longer at least. It means the Trailblazer season is uh, is getting toward the end. What what does that mean with this team? I mean, my goodness. I wish we had any modicum of of hope of something substantial with Rip City, and I don't know that we do this year. But we're going to kick that around a little bit. They start a road trip today, I believe. Right there on the ATL, Stephen. They are, yeah, eight and a half point dogs. To Atlanta and their new coach Quinn Snyder. Quinn coached a game yet? Has he? Uh, yeah, they, they, he uh, coached one. They lost to the Wizards by a couple points, but uh, yeah, this is second game coaching. I was kicking this around. So people have been tweeting about Terry Stotts, and you know we we owe this man an apology. This and that. You uh you popped that up on your own Twitter. You're like, I don't think we owe Terry Stotts an apology. Two things can be true. Chauncey can be struggling with this team. And it can also be true that Terry would have also struggled with this team. That's your opinion. Yeah, it's okay to admit that Chauncey Billups is a bad coach, but the team also quit on Terry Stotts. Do we not remember what happened it a couple years ran ago? ran its course, man. It, it, it ran, ran its course. It really did in that playoff loss to the Nuggets. Like, they just weren't competing under Terry Stotts. Like, it's yeah. okay to admit that it was the right decision to get rid of him, and it's the right decision that Chauncey Billups sucks as a coach right now. But, like, I'm still willing to give Chauncey— sucks is a strong word. Yeah, okay, he's not great right now. He's not <laughs> He's not great. I, I will say this, though, Judah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold— all my judgment, Chauncey Billups, right right now because the roster isn't very good. I mean, you look at last the last game they played against the Pelicans. Their closing lineup, you know, they have Trenton Wofford out there as their center. Like Trenton Wofford, solid player. He's not a center. He's not a starting center. So to have him as your closing lineup guy, like I just think the roster is such an issue that even if Terry Stotts, like people love Terry Stotts, if he's the coach, they're not winning more games. He wouldn't be overcoming this. No, and right so now. and so I I you know Chauncey has made a lot of bad choices this year as a coach. But he also has decisions where he has to put guys out there that are out of position and aren't good enough to be closing games out. So I, I, you know, I'm not going to judge Chauncey yet. Two years in, he is a little over his head, but I still think he can improve as coach. So he's got, uh, what are they, 29 and 33. So quick math there. What, they've got another 20, 20 games to go? 20, yeah. And, you know, and a six-game roadie that starts tonight, and uh, I think it's like six games in nine days. You got Atlanta tonight. You got Orlando, Detroit, Boston, Philly, New Orleans. I mean, you're losing at least three of those games, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you might be, you know, two and four on this trip. What is a reasonable trip on this? Atlanta, Orlando, Detroit, Boston, Philly, New Orleans. I mean, you, you got to get the two. You got to get the two against yeah. Orlando and Detroit, right? So I think if you could get one of the other ones and you split it, you have three and three, right? That'd that's be a, a, that's that, a win. That's a dub. Like, that is a really good road trip for the Blazers. And it, it, honestly, like, if they go three and three, it's going to keep them right in the playoff race, so the play-in race if you want to make the play-in. I, you know, I'm more of a guy that, like, 
I don't really care if they win because I don't want to see them make the play in. And even if they do and they win, they get the eight seed, they're going to get swept by the Nuggets in the first round. I, I don't care about that. But if, <laughs> you know, I understand a lot of people want that and they want to see playoff basketball in Portland. So, you know, if they can get three get three wins on the road, I think it'd be great. Now, I don't think you can count even, even the Orlando or the Detroit game as an automatic W. That's just the way the Blazers are playing. And with Anthony Simons, he's out tonight. He'll probably be doubtful again or questionable the next couple of games. What's going on with him? Well, he, he hurt his ankle and came yeah. back really soon, which was awesome. Like, you know, it was unexpected. We thought he'd be out another couple of weeks. He came back. Didn't play that much. Didn't play Didn't play great. Didn't look great out there. Looked a little rusty. And then he re-hurt his ankle yeah. in the game. So now he's out again. But, I mean, the way the Blazers are playing, Judah, like, you can't even count the Orlando or Detroit game as a W right now. Like, all games are on, on the table to win or lose and probably mostly lose. So, uh, you know, it is an important stretch, though, if the Blazers really want to make that play in. Is there... Is there an advantage to like making the play in, you know, just just to celebrate that you got there and hey, you give yourself a chance in a one off and you have Damian Lillard and you never know what will happen. Like it's it's still a successful year if they make the play in and advance out of it and get into the playoffs. Right. Like that would be a success for this team. But how would you even handicap that probability? Like, would you give it like five to one odds or ten to one odds that they would actually make the playoffs at this point? I'll, I'll flip it to you like. I don't think that it's very likely that they make the playoffs. They can still make the play in, but even if they did, like what is the what's the positive coming out of it? Like are you a big experienced guy? Like that's right. the that's the main thing they're gonna get. Like we could maybe see something about Chauncey, at least in a playoff game with best roster available to him. What does he what does he look like? Because right now he's got a lot of lot to overcome. No one is really in Chauncey's corner at the moment. The only argument you can make in Chauncey's favor is the one you just did which is you have Trendon Watford as your closing five. That That's pretty much it. But any type of adjustments, scheme, strategy, he's come up, you know, with a non-passing grade at this point. And if you actually put this team in a, you know, one-off situation, an elimination, a true elimination game, a play-in game even at that point, maybe we could see something about Chauncey that he would at least have an opportunity to, uh, you know, to at least turn the narrative on him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, experience, I think, only matters so much, right? Like, it, it does have its purpose, but I don't think with this team, this team is a lot of veterans, too. Yeah. Like, there's really not a lot of young guys. I mean, Shaden Sharp would get experience. You know, a guy like Trenton Watford, Desir Little would get experience. But, uh, you know, I don't know that the necessary benefit to get to the playoffs. But, you know, having said that, Judah, they're plus 450 to make the playoffs. So it's okay. it's very unlikely that they actually do. So that means they they have to get to the play-in and What'd then I win say? the play-in. F- five to one. You said five to initially, one. Initially, so plus 450 is a little bit, uh, you know, shorter odds than that. So. Yeah, and that's not just the play-in. That means they have to win the play-in and get to the yeah. seven or eight seed. So it, very unlikely for the Blazers to do that. But, you know, I, I just don't know what the what the positive sign is besides experience. And I think you're right. Cha- the Chauncey thing would be interesting to see how he reacts to playing against a really good team. And, you know, if they were the eight seed, the only is Mike Malone, who's a great coach. That, Cause that, that would be the, uh, the scenario, right? That would we, be the matchup, We've yeah. seen Mike Malone win those battles against the Blazers in the past. So it'd be funny if we got there again, uh, 503-417-7575. John Cazano did a tweet out. He's soliciting questions for his mailbag. And someone asks him, uh, for the mailbag, and I'll, we'll see if he answers it on uh, johncazano.com. Um, what blazer, which blazer from a former era would you most like to see be playing in his prime on this team uh, to try to to try to help them out? Now, it's kind of like, you know, two things. Like, would you just go with, like, the best blazers 
of all time and just put them right in here and see if they work? Or is there any chemistry or is there floor balance to keep in mind, positional balance, et cetera? Who, who would play good with Dame right now? The, uh, Brandon Roy? I mean, in his prime, pre-knee injuries? I do love Brandon Roy. But I, I think for me the obvious answer is Arvita Sabonis because we never saw what he was in his prime. Right, so like you're getting that, and also he's a big guy that can move and can shoot and can pass. And you know, you look at a guy like uh, Victor Wembanyama, who's going to be the number one pick. He's seven five. Like Sabonis was seven two, seven three, and yeah. can move when he was in his prime. Like, not saying that they're the same type of player, but I think it would. Re- he actually would fill a big need for the Blazers. And in his prime, like he was considered one of, if not the best players in the world. So, I, I, like for me, that's the easy answer. Is to give it to Arvidas. My, uh, you know how people kick that question around, like who's your favorite Blazer of all time, and you'll get some different answers. But for me, it was always Arvidas Sabonis. And as I, uh, to me, I thought that was kind of a unique answer. You know, when I broke into radio, you know, almost a decade ago, it was like, uh, man, I wonder. Uh, you know, I, I've got Arvidas as my favorite Blazer of all time. How many people would have that? Turns out a lot of people have Arvita Sabonis as their favorite blazer of all time, which I was like, wow, you know, that kind of makes sense because he was so uh, good while he was here in Portland, of course, but we always thought about the what-ifs. What if he came over a little bit earlier when the Blazers had his rights? What if he was in his prime when he was here in Portland? And uh, could he have been the, the player that lifted Portland uh, over the hump even uh, even more than than the competitive you know nature of the team that they were in the early 90s, of course? Um, but I think of those Blazer teams in the late '90s, and uh, sure, you know, there's some there's some checkered history on Blazers rosters at the turn of the century. But some of those squads in in the late '90s, and especially, of course, that '99 season in the uh, the Western Conference Finals in 2000 comes to mind. Um, but Sabas was my favorite Blazer, you know, by far. Uh, Brian Grant was probably my second favorite, and of course, everything that uh, that uh, Brian does locally too still resonates. But how could you not love Arvidas Sabonis and uh, his his mannerisms, his style of play, everything that he meant to the team? Man, I, that is still my favorite Blazer of all time, Arvidas Sabonis. I still remember the first Blazer game that I went to as a kid. I think my dad won tickets through his work, and he took me and my brother and uh, one of our friends. Uh, growing up, I was probably in fourth grade at the time, and we saw Blazers Raptors. This must have been circa 2001, 2002, around then. So Vince, it was prime Vince um, uh, with Toronto, and uh, Blazers blew out the Raptors. It was awesome, and uh, Sabas hit a three-pointer. He got kicked out for a wide-open three with like 20 seconds left in this blowout win. And we were like, oh, my God, Sabas is going to shoot it from three, which obviously he he had that in his bag. He was a great shooter for for a man of his size. But it was like everybody stood up in the arena when Arvidas had this open three with 20 seconds left of a blowout win. And he just nailed, he just dialed it up boom, and nailed like barely any arc on the ball. Just like this little boom, get those knee pads ready, get up and boom, right, right. And it was like, boom, it hit the back iron, you know, right as it, you know, inside the cylinder, boom, right in there, goes in. It was like never a doubt, classic Sabas three, bingo. And uh, put the finishing touches on a blowout win over Vince Carter. It's hard to find a Blazer fan that doesn't like Sabonis. Like, I mean, it doesn't exist. It How doesn't, can you not yeah. like Arvita Sabonis? Yeah, like he, like <laughs> you go through, like there's people that probably don't like Damian Lillard or Brandon yeah. Roy or Clyde Drexler. But like 
I think 100% of Blazer fans like Arvidas Sabonis. Uh, the, you got to. The only drawback is I wish he came over sooner. That, it, that's the only it, thing you could say exactly, much exactly. About, about him. 503 417 Who is a Blazer in their prime from a past Blazer era that you would most like to see on this team to help out of, help a brother out with the Blazer of the past? Uh, Mark is in Portland. Let's go out to Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, how you doing? I uh, Sabonis and, and Bill Walton have a lot of similarities. They were tremendous players until they had their injury. But when you say in your prime, there's only one player in Blazer history who was the MVP of the finals. And then the next year, they were, he was MVP of the league. And I'm telling you, I went to some of those games. I, I remember them playing Milwaukee. And uh, Brian Winters uh, had a big game. But we won the game 136-116. to 116, And they asked Milwaukee if Portland was really as good as people were saying. And they said, we just played our best game of the year and lost by 20 points. Huh. I mean, when Walton was in his prime, he would make – I don't know how it's possible. He would make Lillard uh, even better. He made Dave Torzik a star. He, made, he gave us the greatest fast break that the NBA had seen just because of an outlet pass. I mean, he was fundamentally a tremendous player in his prime. And then when he hurt his leg, you know, he just never was the same. Unlike Sabonis, who Sabonis played well after his injury, but not like he did before his injury. What's something about Bill Walton that, someone of my generation might miss someone that like I associate Bill as a great great historical player etc but his personality well, is so massive that almost you know and it's been you, so long since you, he played uh, in his prime. you're a sports you're a sports fan just like I am yeah. obviously I can tell that and if you if you were uh, grew up in that time watching I watched UCLA 88 straight win you know win streak uh you know Walton was a god to me when he, when he came, the way he played, he was the best high school player anybody'd seen at that time. And, you know, the, the debate was him and Jabbar. You can, you can, you can, uh, you, you, there's no wrong answer between those two players, but until he got injured, he, he swept the Lakers with Jabbar. And, and, you know, I got to witness all that. And it was, it was a tremendous thing for, for that moment in, in Portland history, the Blazers were the best team in the NBA and there's only, and he was the reason. You know, Lucas was the, the next great player, but, but Walton, Bob, he created the, the greatest fast break with uh, three guys that weren't really that athletic and fast. Bobby Gross, Dave Torzik, and Lionel Hollins was pretty athletic, but it was just the fundamentals. It's a different game. Yeah. It's the three ball now. Back right, then, totally. that was a two-point game. Yeah. So, Mark, thanks so much for the phone call. Appreciate that. 503-417-7575. Magic Johnson was on the Dan Patrick Show earlier this week, and... Um, great conversation, great interview, but, uh, Dan asked him, you know, would your style of play still translate in today's game? And of course, magic's like, uh, yeah, the only, the only difference for me was, you know, I was pointing, running the fast break, dishing out to guys for layups. The only thing I do different now is run that fast break and dish it out to guys for three pointers. Like that, that's the only difference, but that just dovetails on Mark's point that Bill Walton was so adept at making everybody around him better. And that fast break that he ran, even with the trailblazers late seventies, of course, um, you know, taking guys like, like towards and, and gross, et cetera, Hollins, uh, Maurice Lucas, making everybody better around him. That is a, uh, a quality that I think we try to assign to star players, maybe too often he can make everybody around him better. Like, I don't know that you could say that about Luca, right? Like Luca is so ball dominant. 
uh, and the iteration of Dallas and Kyrie, it's not really working out so far the way that uh, that the way that Mark Cuban and company hoped. You can't say that about every star. He makes people around him better. We hear it a lot about quarterbacks in the NFL in particular. He makes his guys better. Everybody that played with Brady was made better. Everybody that played with Peyton was made better. Um, you know, everybody that, that you hear it said about LeBron, I guess from time to time, he makes everybody better because of his ability to share the basketball pass. And then, of course, demand that level of excellence, that cultural accountability that you want in your stars. I would say Damian Lillard makes players around him better, if not for the only reason that, like, you got to have your ish together if you're playing with Dame. At least I get that sense. Is that fair to say, Stephen? Is is Damian Lillard at the point where, just from a culture standpoint, his teammates, they just playing alongside him, they know they got to bring it and they're going to be held accountable for what they do? Or am I kind of overstating the cultural impact that Damian Lillard has? Does he have that like that killer level? Like, you got to be up here with me, the way that Kobe had it, the way MJ had it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you... You're on to something there. I also think, like, culture's a little overrated in the NBA. Uh, it's definitely a thing, and it definitely can help you for sure. But I do think that when you talk about culture, you still need the talent around it as well. right? Yeah. Like, you can have the best culture in the world, but you're only going to go so far. I mean, you can go back to those, uh, you know, the Western Conference Finals team that they had with against when they beat the Nuggets, lose to the Warriors. Like, that team had really good culture, had really good chemistry, but – they weren't even close to the Warriors because the talent level wasn't there. So I, I think it's a combination of both where the culture is still good here in Portland, uh, but they just they need to upgrade the roster. Like, that's the main thing. So I right. think no matter how much Damian Lillard can get out of his team, it still comes down to the roster isn't good enough. Uh, let's go out to uh, Mike in Portland. Mike, what you got? So first of all, man, um, uh, you comparing water to, to, to oil. Daniel Lillard could not play with Sabonis for the simple reason that when Sabonis played basketball, a, a, a basketball players had to have IQ. They had to have basketball IQ. The basketball players today, they don't have basketball IQ. Daniel Lillard don't know how to break down defenses. He don't, when he draw the double coverage, he don't pass off to, to the open man. He shoot it. So, no, he would not play good with any ball player from that era. Not at all. So, Who's you know, your favorite all Blazer water. of all time, Mike? Favorite Blazer of all time? Well, I got I got a lot of them, but there's, a, there's only one Blazer that was good enough to have a street named after him. That's Clyde Drexler. All the other players, there ain't nobody named nothing after them. You know, that's, that's the way you got to look at it. All right. So, Thanks for the call. That's that's Mike in Portland, uh, keeping it civil around here. Damian Lillard doesn't know how to read defenses. I don't know about that. I think he does know how to read defenses, but his best option in a lot of uh, coverage reads is still to shoot the damn ball because he's that good at shooting it from deep. It's not a function of not being able to read defenses. It's being able to determine what your best option is even after you've read the defense. Do I pass it out to Maurice Harkless for an open corner three? Hell no. I'm going to shoot this thing myself. Borrowing an example from a few years ago but uh, still may or may not be bitter about the, that situation. All right, running heavy on the opening segment, but still taking your calls at 503-417-7575. Who is a former trailblazer from an era past who, in their prime, you would like to see play on this version of the Blazers? 
Basically, who would you like to see play alongside Damian Lillard? A Blazer of the past. And we can parlay that into favorite Blazer of all time conversation because I always enjoy those as well. And we could spend a three-hour uh, show talking about Arvita Sabonis if you so choose. I uh, also want to get to some news out of the Combine, the NFL Draft world. I am fascinated by the NFL Draft this year, especially as it relates to uh, some of our local players. Christian Gonzalez, Luke Musgrave. To me, they're going to be the defining players for us locally of this year's NFL Draft. What does that mean? And what does it mean to the Ducks roster and the Beavers roster as they both get ready for spring football? Beavers start spring practice next Tuesday. Uh, Ducks uh, will start soon as well. So a lot to look forward to. And you can reach me on Twitter at Judah Newby. Newby in for Kanzano right here on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the show. Newbie in for Canzano on the BFT, the BFT Radio Network. Got the uh, NFL Combine underway. Christian Gonzalez running his 40. Uh, Luke Musgrave starting the process as well. Uh, You got spring football around the corner for the uh, Oregon Ducks and the Oregon State Beavers. Looks like the uh, Ducks spring game will be April 29th. I think the Beavers spring game is April 22nd, and uh, we're getting spring football uh, right around the corner for both of them, including uh, the Beavers starting next Tuesday. So we'll get into that a little bit more as well. Uh, Stephen Vaughn behind the glass, too. We've been watching the NFL Combine. Did you see Nolan Smith yesterday, edge rusher from Georgia? I did. Uh, insane. Insane yeah. to watch. And then his uh, his vert was, I believe, like 40 as well, like 40-inch vert as well. Like, the man is a freak of nature athlete. And, and I didn't expect that from him necessarily. I knew he was a great athlete, but... Uh... He missed a lot of time with injury this past year, too, so I had no idea what to expect. It just makes sense of why Georgia won back-to-back titles, right? Like, they're just – I mean, these are the guys that they're putting out there, and it's just numerous guy after guy. You know, they lost so much from that defense this past year in the draft, and that was the question. I remember going to week one against the Ducks. It was like, what does Georgia have coming back from that defense? They lost, you know, 12, 13 guys from that defense. Well, no, they just plugged a bunch more guys in. They have a bunch more first rounds. Like, that's how good that Georgia team was, and, man, it's just – some of these guys, these athletes, Judah, are just crazy, man. It's it's no wonder, like, in the NFL, the, the combine is so important because, yes, it matters what you do on the field, but, like, your measurables are so important, especially at certain positions. Right, yeah. I mean, and hand size gets, you know, a lot of run. Height for quarterbacks getting a lot of run. The Bryce Young conversation is a pretty interesting conversation. Uh, I'm a Seahawks fan, so I spend a lot of time thinking about what the Seahawks are going to do at five, trying to parse out what uh, John Schneider is is saying in his press conference, what we're going to do with Geno, whether it's the tag or a long-term deal, what it means for the team, and their, uh, you know, what, what's the path? What's the year-to-year path for the Seahawks to become a team that's competing deep into the playoffs and maybe get back to, uh, to Super Bowl level? And, uh, you know, maybe be, bring Bobby Wagner back. Uh, we'll see. That, that's been floating out there a little bit as well ever since the Rams uh, looks like they're going to to release Bobby Wagner. But you mentioned Georgia and the, the amount of prospects that Uga is putting out into the draft these days. Uh, and I can't stop thinking about the, the Oregon opener with Georgia. And I just, what was it, uh, 49-3? Did it finish that? Man, 
Something like that, yeah. Something I mean, like that, right? After about, try 20, to after about 28, out. yeah, you just kind of forget. There are certain games that uh, if you, even if you're a Duck fan or not, yeah, 49-3, gross. I remember coming out of that one and thinking like, yeah, that was disappointing. And I personally had Georgia minus 17 and a half. And that, that number even got closer to 17 by kickoff, right? Like it got to 17. Did it get to 16 and a half? I don't remember, but... Um, I remember it was getting closer to zero, and I just didn't see it that way. <laughs> I didn't see Oregon being able to keep it within 17 with the reigning national champs and Dan Lanning's first game. But I also thought that the reaction to it was way outsized. And I, I remember saying at the time that this loss by Dan Lanning to Georgia, like to me, it's way more excusable than either of Mario Cristobal's losses to Utah the year before the game in the regular season in Salt Lake and, of course, the Pac-12 title in Vegas. Like, to me, and then people were coming back saying, well, you know, Dan Lanning had all season to prepare for this game. Well, newsflash, you don't prepare all offseason for one game, right? You're instilling culture. You're instilling long-term sustainable success in your program. You're instilling all sorts of things that aren't geared to trying to beat the reigning national champs week one in freaking Atlanta. All right. That's not what you're doing in the off season. So no, the barometer for Dan Lanning's success was not going to be the opener with, uh, with the Bulldogs. Whereas Cristobal, he lost the team, man. He freaking lost the team and all the stuff going on in the background of, Hey, will he, won't he, you know, he, he always downplayed it to the media, which is fine if it has no effect on the product on the field. But it did. And they fell on their faces two of the last three games of the season. I hated the way that Oregon finished under Cristobal. Hated it. And even the win over Oregon State was not that impressive. Um, and just it just left us all with a bad taste in our mouths. So, you know, that come to come from that and go into the opener with Georgia, 49 to 3, I mean, obviously Oregon ended up looking a lot better than that score. Uh, as the season went on. And I think we all were kind of hoping that Oregon would get another shot at Georgia in the playoff if Oregon made it that far. But I also remember thinking this, Stephen, I remember they beat Colorado on the road. What, they start 8-1, and one, something like that, to, to start the uh, season after losing to Georgia. And then they have the Washington-Utah-Oregon uh, State stretch coming up. That's what they had at that point. And they were, what, sniffing top 10 again in the CFP, maybe higher in the CFP, right? Like, they had a legit chance to play their way back into the CFP. And they had the UW-Utah-OSU stretch coming up. And you and I both said they were not going to get out of that three-game stretch unscathed. They were going to lose one of those three games. I didn't think it would be the UW game. I thought it would be the Oregon State game. Turns out it was both. But, man, it's just... It's a hard task to uh, to beat those three teams consecutive weeks, and it just tells you it's a lot depends on your schedule and how it all falls you know falls through, and uh, the way that it set up for them last year with UW, Utah, and then Oregon State. To me, it just felt it in my bones. I didn't think the Ducks were going to go three and zero in that stretch, and they ultimately went one and two in that stretch and uh, ended up finding their way into the Holiday Bowl. But you know, to play a team like Georgia, who puts out Nolan Smith into the combine who puts out Christopher Smith uh, into the draft as well. And I thought of that because I thought these are the guys that Bo Nix faced his first game as an Oregon duck. 
And we remember the two picks, right? The Christopher Smith pick, that was just a bad read in zone coverage. The Malachi Starks pick up along the sideline where it's just like kind of a 50-50 ball and you're hoping that your guy's better than their guy. Turns out their guy was better. <laughs> Turns out the true freshman at Georgia was better than your guy. And it was it was a bad throw, too. If you look at the replay on that throw down the sideline, like that ball was a dead dead duck, pardon the pun, fluttering down. It was hardly a tight spiral um, fluttering down. So that ultimately ends up probably being Bo Nix's worst game that he played as a duck, um, especially when he was healthy. Was that game against Georgia? And that's understandable. You know, in retrospect, that's understandable. But when I'm watching the Combine this week and I'm seeing all these guys from Georgia, and that's not even including, you know, Jalen Carter, who's in a, in a class of his own in terms of uh, what's going on with him, it's just another reminder of like, Those were the dudes that Bo had to face in the opener. And um, it just, sometimes it's good to have that context and have that memory when you're thinking about a guy's performance from week one all the way through the season. And then now that he's back, forecasting what he can become in 2023 as well. And the thing is, is like, I was with you. It was understandable how the Oregon Ducks played against Georgia and how Bo Nix performed against Georgia week one. Like, that is a tough matchup. But I do think. You know, so it was excusable, and it was an overreaction. Then when they played BYU, they were only three and a half point favorites. I remember loving Oregon in that game. Like you did, was, you loved Oregon. It, it, against it was just BYU. it was just a big overreaction after yeah. week one. Now coming up to this next season, they start out with Portland State, then they're on the road to Texas Tech. There's no excuses, right? There was an excuse for year one, game one for Dan Lane. I think in year two, when they're taking on Texas Tech down in Lubbock, it's gonna be a tough atmosphere. There's no excuse. Like mm-hmm. Oregon needs to go out and win that game. Like, if you want to be one of those top teams, you go on the road and you win that type of football game. So I think it's a totally different circumstance this next season, and it's going to be very interesting to me to see how they react to that Week 2 game. They got Portland State Week 1, should be a W. Then they're on the road, tough atmosphere. There's no excuses in that one. Like, we'll see the growth as a coach and a coaching staff and the growth of Bo Nix in that new offensive coordinator in Week 2 against yeah. that Texas Tech team. And they should be, you know, Portland State, Texas Tech, Hawaii. That's 3-0. and Should be, right? We're talking should, it should be. be. Like Frankly, that, yeah. like, I mean, I got to dig into Texas Tech a little bit more, but is it going to be Shuck at quarterback for them? Uh, he kind of got hurt and benched last season, so I would doubt it. I, I don't think so, but uh, it could be. They, they, were, they overachieved last season, Texas Tech did. Like, it's not going to be a rollover for sure. Like, there's no excuses, though. The Ducks, they should be favored in that game. They, they, they that will game. probably be a touchdown favorite at least, maybe more, Oregon in that game. And and they should win, and they should win comfortably, I think. I mean, on paper, playing in Lubbock is uh, is a tougher task than I think it should actually be for for the personnel that Oregon has, et cetera. You got Dion in your conference opener, and then you've got a rebuilding Stanford team in Troy Taylor. Like, you should be 5-0 and before you go to your bye week. And after your bye week, you get UW. Like, it's it's got to be five and zero bye week, and then at Washington, October fourteenth. I think that's completely reasonable, and that's a really nice setup. Uh, if you're talking about getting off to a really good start, being ranked high in the CFP, and then it really comes down to the Knicks versus Penix battle uh, in Seattle, just like the one in Eugene last last uh, last year. And now we're talking about probably what could become one of the greater uh, rivalries in Pac-12 history and college football history between a couple of quarterbacks that transferred in, which is kind of fun. But that's kind of how I feel about it between Penix and Bo Nix going head-to-head. And those head-to-head battles will dictate 
how these seasons go for Washington and Oregon, respectively. All right, we'll bounce a break and come back. We've got a big splash in front of us as well. We'll get a visit from the Portland Golf Show along the way, do some punch it audio, do the five at five. I've got a couple of other uh, Blazer-related things I want to toss Stevens' way as well. You've got the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back, newbie in for Canzano on the Bald Face Truth, BFT Radio Network. Following some of the updates at the NFL Combine, looks like Noah Sewell did the bench press and got some uh, good marks. 27 reps at 225 for Noah Sewell. That is second among inside linebackers who have lifted at the Combine. That, uh, according to the Oregonians, James Crepio, following things over uh, at the Indy Combine. Indianapolis. Man, I need to get back there. Did see uh, Seahawks Colts a while back in that building a few years ago. Um, I think it also had some March Madness out there, uh, not kind of recently as well. I think that was the COVID tournament was uh, all in the state of Indiana, right? At yeah. A bunch of venues and finished, I think it finished at Lucas Oil. Yeah, there's so many uh, like basketball stadiums you can have around there because they were in you know, yeah. at Butler and, uh, you know, Picking, uh, not a Conseco field house. That's the old, that's the old uh, Pacers. Ban- Banker's life or whatever it is Yeah, now. sure. Yeah. I, I get lost. Dude, I, I love that reference, though. That is some Conseco? Rick Smith's yeah. Reggie Miller era basketball, right? Austin Crozier. Yeah. Oh, Austin Crozier. Oh, man. That year, I mean, that's the second time that I'm thinking about 99-2000 now. Yeah, that was the finals team that lost to the Lakers. Blazers would have kicked their butt. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love myself some Rick Smith's. Uh, just like I love Arvidas, although Arvidas was way better. But, I mean, you know what I mean, like seven two, seven three, tall white guys that had to deal with Shaq. Uh, and you, you could just see, like, whenever Shaq would body him up in the low post, he'd bang, bang, you know? And, like, these tall white guys, like Sabas and Smiths, would be like, you know, they're trying to absorb. They're like a tree. They're like those flying things at those car dealerships. Like, Waving their arms. With their arms, like, wave around. And uh, try to just use their height to, to throw Shaq around. But, frankly, it was guys like Brian Grant that probably had the most success, I feel like. Like, Grant would do the thing we all would try to replicate, right? We'd put that forearm right in the back. Get your ass down. Get as low as possible. And, dude, I would do that to my brother, and he would be so pissed in the driveway. Oh, man, because I would just – I was – smaller than him and I would just do the Brian Grant thing and just lean into his lower back and just like uh, uh, and try to like knock him off the block uh, it still didn't go well for me but uh, that's the technique I tried because that hey you just replicate what you see your NBA stars do so uh, I had better success doing that than trying the Sabas Rick Smith strategy that's for sure yeah just take it straight to the chest and be overpowered that's the thing like <laughs> Sabas and Smiths were so big and it didn't matter like Shaq just threw them around like ragdolls yeah, you remember, this is tough because uh, I don't know how he's doing right now, but Sean Bradley play? Because yeah. what was Sean Bradley, like 7'6"? Yeah, yeah, 7'6". Yeah, and he had a terrible accident not that long ago, right? Mm-hmm. Te- oh, no, he had a terrible accident. I think he's 
I gotta find it, but I think he's partially paralyzed. Like he's in a wheelchair now because he mm. was uh, big into bicycling and he had a terrible, terrible crash. So, um, man, yeah, I think it looks like he's doing. He's still, you know, with us, still uh, doing all right. But I think he's wheelchair bound now, which is which is so so tough for him. But I remember, I remember the basketball cards of Sean Bradley, and I'm just like, man, how does this guy like move around like? We all would want a seven foot six guy on our team. Like how how can you stop a guy who's seven foot six? Uh and of course, you know, everybody's a, a little bit different, but that's another one of those guys, man, Sean Bradley, that uh I remember from from days growing up. Uh George Murison. I had a lot of George Murison basketball cards for some reason. And uh Fat Lever. I had a friend reach out to me, they're gonna have a, a kid. And uh, they were thinking about different names to name the kid, and one of the uh, one of the names they were thinking about was naming him Lafayette. And I was like, "You mean like the town?" And they're like, "There's a Lafayette town." And I'm like, "Yes, there's a Lafayette town. It's right. It's right outside McMinnville. It's a tiny town. Uh, for those of you that are uh, around that area, uh, you know." And they're like, "No, no, it's something else." And I'm like, "Lafayette Lever." Are you going to name your kid after Fat Lever? Please tell me you're naming your kid after Fat Lever. And they were shocked, and uh, we're no longer friends. They were not naming their kid uh, after Fat Lever. And ultimately, I don't think they're they're uh, naming it after uh, uh, Lafayette in general. But it, apparently it was some military guy from France named Lafayette that uh, they were thinking about. I prefer Fat Lever, yeah. Fat Lever. I mean, that's the best. That's a good nickname. Fat Lever. That's, that's great stuff. Between Muggsy Bogues, Spud Webb, and Fat Lever— those are some great names for some great players back then. We don't have nicknames like that for guys anymore. I mean, what? You're going to just call him Spider Mitchell? That's not his name. That's right? cool, though, yeah. It's kind of cool, but, I mean, it's like it's Donovan Mitchell. That's how we all know and love him. Well, the ultimate one is Magic. Can't get better than Magic. Like that, like, Can't that, get better than that. He's known as Magic. Like, that's yeah. not his name, but, like, he is Magic Johnson. You know, like, yeah. that, that's the ultimate, like, nickname. Yeah. That's uh, that is probably great. That's another conversation. Great, greatest sports nicknames. Hard to get better than Magic. That's for sure. All right, we'll bounce the break and come back. Get you a big splash and start to dive in on this uh, realignment news. That's kind of rocking the the sports world again, uh, or is it? Because guess I'm tired of all these rumors and reports and nothing actually being legitimate. Well, it's probably is, is, it's there, pro- is it just me, or is there so much exhaustion at this point? Like, who the hell knows what's actually going to happen? It's the news from JC. That's why JC's putting out news. Go check that out. Then we'll talk about it. I mean, it's 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 a banger. All right, we'll we'll uh, we'll start to get into the bangers only club uh, coming up and uh, read this piece from JC and see what it's all about. More of the BFT back in a moment on the BFT Radio Network. <laughs> Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up in Hour 2, we'll check in with the Portland Golf Show going on uh, this weekend as well. Welcome back to the BFT. Newbie in for Canzano. JC will be back Monday. He's currently in Vegas covering uh, the women's tournament in the Pac-12 and getting sourced up, capital S, sourced with his uh, latest on johncanzano.com. 
on the front of Pac-12 expansion and conference realignment in general. And we'll take some of your calls on that as well at 503-417-7575. But first, want to just relay what John has reported on johncazano.com and on his Twitter at BFT, of course, saying that the Pac-12 is officially exploring four expansion schools. Not only that, but Oregon remains, quote, way on board with the Pac-12, according to a source. So any Oregon fans hand-wringing, the Ducks could be side-eyeing or fully eyeing a move to another conference like the Big Ten or a different conference, uh, John is reiterating once more that the Ducks are, quote, way on board with the Pac-12, according to his source. So let's go ahead and uh, start to dig into this a little bit, Stephen, and we'll make this the subject of today's Big Splash. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. According to John Catano, the Pac-12 Conference CEO group voted to approve, quote, further exploration of four universities for possible conference expansion. SMU, San Diego State, are among those four universities that the CEO group has approved the conference to further explore. The other two, John gives an educated guess that Colorado State might be among the quartet. And he is still working to confirm what uh, the fourth school might be as well. Uh, Apparently, academic standards. Are you a research university? Of course, we know these are priorities for the Pac-12 conference, for better or for worse. And they, they remain priorities as well, but... John Cazzano is reporting that the CEO group has voted to approve further exploration of four universities to be added to the Pac-12 conference. And uh, SMU and San Diego State further among those. My initial reaction to this is, all right, um, cool. That tells me that the CEO group is trying to, you know, it's a vote, so it's an actionable thing. Like, it's something that actually happened. Uh, It's not just coming out with the statement saying that we have strength together and everybody's committed to one another. It's, It's more than that. You know, they have voted to further explore expansion into four universities. And it sounds like they've got four specific universities in mind. And it sounds like SMU and San Diego State are for sure among those four. Colorado State maybe, and we don't know who that fourth school might be, but time to get cracking on some research and figure out who could be that fourth school. The other part of this is there's no way we're adding four schools. <laughs> there is no way four schools are coming to the Pac-12, but good for you for trying. Let's keep talking about it in hour two. Nubian for Gonzano on the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. All right, all speed ahead. Hour two on a Friday, 503 417 7575. Spent some hour one uh, talking a little hoops, talking a little combine, little ducks and beeves, and of course, Pac 12 expansion, courtesy our own John Canzano. 
the namesake of this show, John down in Vegas, and he'll be back in the chair on Monday here on the BFT. But while he's covering the uh, Pac-12 Women's Tournament, of course, he's also breaking news at JohnCazano.com, and the news he is breaking today is that the Pac-12 CEO group has voted to approve further exploration of four universities for possible conference expansion. So with all this grand and scope narrative, the Pac-12's fallen behind the eight ball. The Pac-12 media rights deal is lasting way too long. The Pac-12 has fallen behind the Big 12. And somehow in my head, Brett Yormark is behind all of these narratives. He is giving Brett McMurphy the eye on TV. Like, I, I am fully convinced it's Brett Yormark talking to everybody, giving them all these Pac-12 negative storylines out there. Brett Yormark, ever the salesman. Uh, he seems like a slithery fellow, I do have to say. So uh, if you're reading, uh, you know, Pac-12 hate from uh, from re- reputable, otherwise reputable sources, I bet you the Big 12 commissioner is behind it. You thought Kevin Warren was bad, and he was, right? <laughs> For the Pac-12, at least. Uh, Brett is new public enemy number one if you're George. So Brett v. George, something's got to give here, and we'll see if the Pac-12 deal ultimately ascends above 32 million per school per year because if it does then you beat the big 12 but if it doesn't that's an l and it might come down as i'm reading john's piece it might come down to the monetization uh, capacity of the pac-12 networks it might come down to the pac-12 networks it might come down to how valuable that entity is to the media rights deal that that's coming up here so all, a lot of good stuff to keep an eye on. So that's it. There has been a vote. The Pac-12 CEO group has voted to approve exploration of four universities for possible conference expansion. SMU, San Diego State, according to John's reporting, they are locked in as two of those top schools among the reported four. The third John's best educated guess here is Colorado State, and he's working on confirming that. And then the fourth, he's I know he's got an educated guess on who that fourth co- that team is, but he can't confirm it and report it on the record quite yet. Uh, I mean, we could go down the list and look at possible schools that, that might make sense to be that fourth team to come to, uh, to the Pac-12. But in his reporting, Stephen, he has talked a little bit about who it won't be. And one of the programs it won't be, one of the schools it won't be, is UNLV. And that's, I know, a school that you and I were both kind of high on for the Vegas market. But turns out the academic standards with the running freaking rebels just doesn't quite up line with what the Pac-12 is looking for. I got a problem with this, Judah. Like, <laughs> I get, okay, I, get, I understand the Pac-12 holds themselves to a higher standard, right? They always have, right? That, that, that's why they could never get Boise State. That's why they didn't want, you know. Other, other schools like that. But I feel like it's such an old head way of thinking to not allow Vegas in because of the academic things. Like, I feel like at this point, college sports is more than just academics. It's about the money making. It's about that type of thing. I feel like if you're the Pac-12, you want to be associated with Vegas. That's how you're going to get big time schools in college football to come out to Allegiant Stadium and play Pac-12 schools in, you know, quote-unquote, neutral site games. I feel like th- th- that is part of the future, and UNLV is such a big, growing market over in Vegas. They're getting all these pro sports teams. I just feel like it's such an old-head way of thinking. to be like, nope, they're not academically good. Where Colorado State, they have the academics. That's a good way of school to get in. I have a problem with that. Like, I just 
I feel like they got to be more proactive rather than reactive. And this was the problem kind of like, you know, with the old, with the old Pac-12 deal. Like, it just seemed like it was such a reactionary move with how they did all their networks. Now they're doing it again with just because they're not academically sound. I, I have a problem with that. I think UNLV would be a great fit yeah. in the Pac-12. Not only are they growing, but they're going to be able to market themselves as, you know, Vegas. Like, that's where their home is, is Las Vegas. And I don't know that there's a better entertainment spot in the in, in the nation than Las Vegas. Yeah, and I, the one thing with all this is that you, myself, we all think of it strictly from the sports lens, from the sports brand lens, right? And, and of course, you know, as we started to think about it a little bit more, what kind of media value do you bring to the conference? What kind of television market are you in? And what I'm willing to admit is I don't see the immediate advantages of the high academic standards of, of being in the Pac-10 that apparently Pac-10 leadership does. So I've got to kind of take their word for it. I've got to kind of take the CEO group's word for it and the other presidents on campus around uh, the Pac-12 footprint or Pac-10 footprint, whatever we're going to end up being, uh, their word for it, you know, that there are it's important to to maintain the continuity of these high academic standards. And frankly, I mean, UNLV, I, to me, there's sex appeal with that, but I also don't know if it's sustainable. Like, you know, do we really think UNLV athletics are actually going to be good? You know, I mean, like, the basketball I mean, team has had really good teams in the past. When was, can like, refresh me. I don't think you're wrong, but they when? Had, they had Lon Kruger as their coach, maybe back in the early 2010s. We're going back a ways. This is like 10 years ago. We're going back a ways. Larry Johnson, 91. Larry Johnson, 91, right? And and Lon Kruger. And obviously, I know Lon because he was Dana Altman's mentor. Um, and uh, Terry Stotts, I think, worked with Lon Kruger back in the day as well, coming up uh, out of those ranks. And, you know, Oklahoma, right? Like, like that's what I think of Lon Kruger as. When you say they had good teams under Lon Kruger, I'm like, that's not uh, exactly recent, I guess. But... That doesn't get, like, obviously, you know, point number one is what kind of TV market are you in? But I got to say, man, it matters to me if the teams you're bringing in are still going to be good. Just from a fan experience, like, I kind of want good teams that I think are going to be good that are going to raise your program's perception. Like, that ultimately will indicate rankings value, right? Whether or not you're, I mean, the, the CFP is expanding, so maybe it, it won't matter as much as it's mattered in the past in strength of victory and strength of conference and things like that. But, you know, between football and men's basketball, which are the primary sports we're talking about, doesn't it matter to you, though, that whatever teams end up coming into the conference, they're also, you know, good teams. And by that, I mean, they got a shot to finish in the top three, top four of the conference standings in, in any given sport. Um, in any given year, or does that not matter as much? I mean, you, it's not like Utah was in the top three or top four right away. Like I feel like right. I feel like you're asking a lot if you are expecting teams to come in right away and be competitive, where I feel like if you look at Las Vegas, like they have a lot of room to grow. So if they're a Pac-12 school, that's how they can recruit. Like we're in the Pac-12, we're playing big boy football. If we get good enough players, we got a shot at the playoff. Like, and I think kids are going to want to go to Vegas. It's a lot of fun, a lot of NIL stuff that you can get down there. I, I don't know, Judo. I think there's just a lot of room to grow there. And I understand that they haven't been good in years. And to your point, they haven't made the NCAA tournament since 2013. So exactly 10 to, years. And I think your point would be as well it's in the, football it's the forward too. Looking, yeah. Yeah. It'd be like a lot of it comes down to what kind of coach you have. Right. Right. And I think is Marcus Arroyo still there? I no, think he got fired. It's uh, oh, he Dave, did? Dave oh. Odom. 
I think. Oh, okay. The old Missouri coach? All right, the old Missouri coach. Okay, so uh, Arroyo got fired. I, I must have missed that earlier in the offseason. Barry, I'm sorry, Barry Odom, yeah. Barry Odom, there you go. Um, you got to have the right coach there, and you would probably get the right coach. The, the coach you have now is probably not going to be the coach that you have when you make the move to the Pac-12, in theory. Uh, but and all that to say, you and I are UNLV, you know, we're pro UNLV going to the conference. Turns out John is reporting that's not going to happen. I'm just pro going to Vegas, no matter pro going to get to Vegas any way, shape, or form. It looks like you will be going, but only for Pac 12 events and not for UNLV Pac 12 football games or Notre Dame football game every now and then. What, what school? Okay, so let's just say, uh, you know, according to John, it could be zero, one, two, three, or four schools. Uh, maybe coming over, like they were talking about. It could be any option. Like, yeah. let's just say those three schools we talked about, San Diego State, SMU, Colorado State. Let's just, for for funsies, let's just say they're in. They're in the Pac-12. It's the Pac-13 now, and they're looking to expand to 14. Like, what school is going to fit in after that? You know, we've talked about um, Rice. We've talked about Fresno State. We've talked about Boise State. we talked about um, UNLV, but obviously UNLV. Like, I don't know who the best fit is. Is it is it a Boise State? Is it a Fresno State? Is it another school? John's talked about Rice because it's in Texas to match with SMU. Do you need a partner with a with a team in Texas? Is there another team in Texas that I'm missing that they could bring over? Like I just I don't know if it it would benefit the conference to bring in 14 teams, right? To bring in a fourth school. I feel like the two or uh, San Diego State and SMU. That should be good. Like they should call it good after that and keep it the Pac-12. You're you're kind of yeah. shallowing the waters. I feel like if you get to 14, I and you know, frankly, I don't I don't see what Colorado State does for you. I don't get that at all. Like, uh, and we've got we've got really smart listeners of the show that are uh, that are hitting me up and letting me know that the Pac-12's interest in Colorado State is actually it has a historical trend as well. Like if you go back all the way back to like the early 90s. The Pac-10 at the time was thinking about expanding, and uh, they were reached out to Colorado and Colorado State back in the 90s and was like, hey, do you want to join? And neither school committed, of course, and obviously Colorado would be the, the late ad in 2011 with Utah and ultimately come to the conference, but Colorado State obviously has not. And the only thing that, to me, I don't understand the logic of adding a Colorado State because same footprint. Let me, let me ask as, you this as, one. As, you know... CU Boulder. So it, I don't really understand. What, what what does that give you unless you think Colorado is going to leave for some That's reason. what I was going to say. What if they're doing it because there is the potential of the Big 12 trying to come after the Arizona schools after Colorado? If Colorado State gets in the Pac-12, they, Colorado has a natural geographical partner with them right there. You know, Utah was kind of made their rivals, but now it will be Colorado, Colorado State. Do you think that has any anything to play with it? And yeah. that they want to keep Coach Prime and D, or Colorado in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, it would have a little bit to do with that. But if you think that Colorado is staying put, which everything the Pac-12 has told us was we're staying together, we're staying together, we're staying together. All this talk from the outside that people are thinking about leaving is just talk and it's not accurate at all. So if you believe that, if you're going to take them at face value, I don't get going after Colorado State. I don't – I mean – they are a research institution, so it fits your, you know, your your high academic standard, right? Your profile as a conference. Outside of that, like to me, they don't really do anything for you. They've not been a uh, a football brand that's been sustainably good. They've not been a men's basketball brand that's been particularly good. I think that what they were a five seed a couple years ago, maybe, and I think they 
didn't they lose in a 5-12? Yeah, they've, they've had <laughs> or a couple. 6-11? They've had a couple pretty good years last year. They won yeah. the NIT. And look, I know years. you're all saying, hey, it doesn't matter exactly what you do on the field and what you do on this. And it just doesn't matter. It just matters what TV market you're in. And I'm like, well, fine. If you think you're staying together as a conference, which means you think Colorado is staying as well, then what TV market are you adding by adding Colorado State? Like, you're not. It's all Denver, right? I mean, to me, I, to me, that doesn't make sense. To me, what it feels like it's going on is John's reporting they're exploring four schools, and it's I know there probably are, but handicap the odds that we actually get four schools out of this thing. I would say not likely. 10%, 15% just spitballing here. I, I, I agree. Have no, I have no I insight source on but that. But doesn't it look better? Doesn't it make your conference look better when you're saying, hey, look how strong we are? Not only is nobody leaving our conference, not only is Oregon still all in with our conference, not only that, but A, we're hella confident we're going to get more money than the Big 12. By the way, John is citing a source on johncazzaro.com that reports, and he's talked to a lot of people that are very confident that they're going to get a better media deal year over year than the Big 12 conference. When you ask anybody outside the Pac-12 and everybody's like, yeah, no, nah, you, you guys are screwed. We're over here, you know, saying, no, we, we feel just fine. We're going to get a good number, a big, a big number and one that's bre- better than your marks. That's for sure. Stuart Mandel had an article today saying the Big 12 felt confident they were going to get Pac-12 schools in their conference by the end of the month. Like, that was literally the article, unless the Pac-12 can get a media rights deal the same as the Big 12. But the Pac- but the Big 12 felt confident. Like, they would be able to poach Pac-12 schools. And now, you know, John drops this. And it's like, no, Pac-12 feels fine. Yeah. They feel fine. I, the, the thing about Colorado State, Jude, I want to bring this up real quick. And I just, I don't get it. I don't get why the Pac-12 feels they're so elite over everybody and they have to bring in these academic schools. Like, it seems like it's all academic where it's all trying to get for Colorado in. Like, isn't well, that I mean, such an old way to think? The thing is, it's all about money to me, right? So if there's some, you know, like people are saying like the, the research funding and the research uh, dollars that you'll get because you are a research institution, like I don't know what those numbers look like, but if those numbers are, and, and does that get shared throughout the conference, the money you bring in as a research institution? I, I have a lot of questions about that that I don't have answers to. So, like, really, the numbers that you bring in as a research institution are better than the numbers you'd bring in as a big media market? Really? Like, and how does that get spread out? To, like, how does that benefit Oregon State's football team? You know, I, I that maybe it does, but I don't know the answers to that, and so I'm inclined to agree with you as well. It's just like to, to me, it doesn't make as much sense as adding a school from you know a major market that you don't have already would do to, especially if it it does influence your next media deal that you have. Yeah, or and it might not. Influ- like people might you know get a media deal with the Pac-12 regardless of expansion talk or whatever. And that's, you know, been reported as well. Like, they're just going to negotiate with the Pac-12 with the schools the Pac-12 currently has. Like, they don't really factor in the potential of expansion into media rights negotiations at present. But that being said, I mean, that's got to, you know, to me, adding like an SMU, uh, San Diego State has way more value than adding a Colorado State would or a Rice would if that ends up being the fourth school. Or, or a Boise State, like I just, I just don't understand like how Boise State wouldn't provide more value than Colorado State. I just don't know what what the the Boise TV market's like. But nothing. The, but the Colorado State TV market is you already but have see, it. You, you're but I could anything. actually argue like like you could probably 
compare Boise TV market Colorado to Springs. Colorado State uh, research dollars because they're a research institution. And, you know, and maybe those are comparable, you know, things to look at. I don't really know. And, um, yeah, I don't, I, th- I just think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to two teams. Like, I'd be shocked. I would, I'm going on the right. I, I would be shocked if the conference adds four teams. I'd be shocked if they add three teams. What I think is happening is there, I'm not saying John is being used at all, but I think part of this reporting is showing that the Pac 12 is conscience conscious of their image and they are trying to say that a we've got all our stuff together don't worry about that and b we're coming at it from such a position of strength that we're looking to get four schools into this conference we're flexing our muscles a we're bit. flexing we're fine and we are flexing we're, deni- we're denying we're denying people right and what is actually happening in my opinion is smu and san diego state and that's it if that just, that's what I think is going to happen. I'm with you. I think it's the two. If they do go four and UNLV is not involved, I just think that's a huge swing and a miss. I just think it's a huge swing well, and a miss. George, I, George would know. I mean, that's uh, that's his deal, right? Smarter than I am. Yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, eh, debatable. Trust me. George came on the show. One of his first appearances was like a year ago. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but he came on the show and John and George were talking about Wordle. Wordle was just on the scene. It was this huge deal. Yada, yada, yada. John asks George Klyovkov, you know, hey, do you play Wordle? He's like, yeah, yeah, I play Wordle. And I'm like, oh, cool. What what are some of your go-to Wordle words? And uh, George Klyovkov says, I like uh, I like a few things, but I like going with a rosé. I'm like, a rosé? Wow, what a sophisticated word. How do you, how do you spell that? A-R-O-S-E. A rosé. And I'm sitting here thinking, a rose? Isn't that like a rose? <laughs> and I'm like, maybe I missed it. Maybe a rose is a word, and I didn't know. But I have not found any citation for the word a rose being an actual word. I know, like, if yeah, you yeah, drank a rose of like wine or something, but that's not a singular word. And yet the commissioner of our conference came on the BFT and said one of his favorite wordle words was a rose. And I'm like, dude, George, that's not even a word, bro. That's oh. when a Ron was a big thing, though. So maybe he's just going a Ron. Maybe he's just going a Ron. Which, by the way, I've been on a huge Keen Peel kick this week, so that's a that's a really nice little uh, feather for me there. Uh, we'll take some of your phone calls at five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five if you've got any thoughts on this. Pac-12 expansion that uh, Kanzano has been reporting on. What are the teams that you would want to see in this conference? John is saying that the CEO group has voted to approve exploration of four universities to join the Pac-12 in a potential conference expansion. SMU, San Diego State would be at the top of that list. His third school would be Colorado State, and that's, you know, the most educated guess he has there. And I know that he's got educated guesses on the fourth school, but he can't confirm it on the record quite yet whether that's another school out of the state of texas or not but uh, i think ultimately this is a little bit of substance and a little bit of posturing that the pac-12 is trying to flex at a time when everybody else think it's weak also oregon apparently is way on board with staying in the pac-12 conference according to Kanzano's reporting ultimately i think it's going to be smu and san diego state added or it's going to be nobody added. I do not think Colorado State's coming. I do not think a fourth school is coming. But such is the evolution of these things. 
no one's really been 100% right at any point in all of this. So we'll continue to follow along with it. Nubian for Kanzano right here on the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Coming up in a few minutes, we will uh, chat with the Portland Golf Show as well. And uh, that's going on this weekend. Talk about that right here on uh, 750 The Game, 750thegame.com, the BFT Radio Network. Talking about John Cazzano's reporting today that the CEO group of the Pac-12 Conference has voted to approve further exploration of adding not one, not two, not three, Four schools in possible expansion. Was LeBron James behind this report? I don't know. But uh, SMU, San Diego State, you know, we've always known that they've been kind of at the top of the the Pac-12's list of teams and markets that they would want to add. But who would the other two schools be? Well, John put in JohnCatano.com. He put Colorado State in there. I just, (laughs) I don't see it. I don't see the value of Colorado State whatsoever, unless you think it's legitimate that Colorado might leave uh, the the Pac-12 for the Big 12. Um, But John writes in his piece that Rick George has gone on the record more than once saying, we're committed to the Pac-12. So if you believe Rick George, I mean, we'd be foolish to believe anybody, frankly. But if you believe Rick George, that Colorado is staying in the Pac-12, adding Colorado State would do absolutely nothing for you. Nothing. And people are like, they've got a new football stadium. Cool. (laughs) Didn't they have a new football stadium when they played Gary Anderson a few years ago? I'm pretty sure their first game in their new stadium was when they had Oregon State come in, right? And it was like crazy hot. And like I was all hyped for Seth Collins. And uh, that did not go well. It was like 50-something to 20-something to Colorado State. That's when we knew. We should have known it was going to be a rough year. Uh, after that, uh, I think that was the season opener that year. But yeah, Colorado State does nothing for me. Research, whatever, like nothing. I think it's going to be two two schools or no schools coming to this conference. Um, I don't think it's going to be four schools, and I don't think it's going to be Colorado State. I think it's going to be two schools or no schools, and those two would be SMU, get that Dallas Fort Worth, and. Uh, the fighting Brady hoax down there in San Diego. Do you think it's more likely that there are two schools or no schools? I think um, two schools. I really do. I think expansion is going to happen, but I think it's close. What do you think? How would you handicap it? Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think they like having twelve. Yeah, I, I th- and I think San Diego State and SMU, they're good and they provide a good enough market to actually help and provide some value to the conference. So yeah. I, I'm with you. I think two is the most likely answer. Um, but I do agree with you also that zero would be the second most likely. I, I don't I don't see four. No. It just seems like you're you're really thinning out the waters at that point. Yeah, and there dude, there's so much posturing going on. And John's reporting what he is confident reporting. But you best believe some of the sources that are talking to him are sources that also have the Pac twelve's best interests at heart. No none of these sources are gonna go and say, I'm worried, man. I'm really, really worried. They're not gonna say that. Unless things are legitimately in a tailspin, which even though some media entities would want you to believe, they're not in a tailspin. It's a little bit of a weird time, but 
no one's going to be going on the record saying that we're all screwed and it's time to jump off the the bridge. No one's going to say that. But what they are going to say is probably, yeah, we'll, we'll get a better deal than the Big 12. I am a little bit surprised at how confident some of these sources are that some of these people are telling John that they are more than confident that they're going to get $32 million a year and that's better than the Big 12 at, you know, 31.9. So you're 32 and higher is what the uh, the Pac-12 is trying to get for their institutions. That's what they think they will get as well. Um, so we'll see if that ultimately manifests. If it does, then the wait is worth it, I guess. But I also want to know what those entities and what those media partners are going to be. Uh, and by the way, I'm kind of digging what Apple TV has been doing lately. I'm kind of digging it. It's really cool in MLS uh, and other sports. So we'll uh, kick that around as well. Talk with the Portland Golf Show coming up next. Nubian for Kizano right here on the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Kizano on 750 The Game. With the Portland Golf Show coming up, this is day one of three for them. And uh, you a big golf guy, Stephen? Um, I'm not a huge golf guy. Uh, my brother and my dad, they are pretty big into golf. And so they, you know, I'm kind of the glue, right? So they wanted to get new irons and new clubs, but they didn't want to do it without getting me involved. So I do have a pair of fitted irons, whole set, really nice. Uh, but that's all I have. I don't have any woods. And I do have a putter now, so I have irons and a putter, so I'm I'm good to go on that front. And you know, I'm I can whack the ball a little bit. I'm one of the guys that just you know I'm gonna swing hard, and if I make contact with the ball, it's gonna go a long way. But uh, don't know where it's going, and uh, it's not great. So I, I'm in the first to admit I'm not a great golfer. But I always say like you know what, this is not my game. I'm, I'm gonna play I'm gonna play real sport in basketball, and I'll beat you there. But you're not playing basketball. I know, and golf is a real sport, so it's just my it's just my it's just my excuse. It's the excuse I use. Do you uh, partake in the is this a game or is this a sport debate, like bowling, game or sport? I would say or recreational activity. It's a sport. Golf's definitely a sport. What about bowling? Uh, that's more of an activity. Okay, golf to me is a sport. Yes, bowling. Man, Com- competition. Not so much, like but competition. there's a lot of bowlers out there that think that that is uh, the worst dish you, that you could give to bowling. Uh, but yeah, so we'll check in with the Portland Golf Show closer to the top of the hour as well. Um, things are starting to thaw out a little bit, so it's getting my golf juices flowing too. I would say you sound like a uh, guy that could have a good time at Top Golf. If we had to stay, have you been to Top Golf yet? I've done Top Golf uh, one time. I actually not a huge fan of Top Golf. I I rather just play the game and score the way it's supposed to be scored. Really? Yeah, the fake the fake scoring. It's not. I can't get too competitive. As someone that makes almost a living off of wagering and gambling on sporting <laughs> events, you'd rather actually play the game than, I, than I like play to, a fake version of the I game. I like to follow the rules, Judah. I'm a rule follower. Very interesting. You're a rule follower. I'm learning so much about you. I also just learned that you're the glue guy in your family. The glue guy. Definitely the glue guy. Uh, mm. Left-handed as well. I golf left-handed. Do you write? No, I, I write right-handed. I shoot right-handed. Uh, but I hit left-handed for baseball, and I hit with my golf clubs left-handed. I had a buddy like that growing up as well that I was like, man, that's so weird. Except he 
I think he also hit left-handed in baseball, but then swung a golf club right-handed. And My it's dad's the like that, thing. yeah. My dad just does that. Yeah, crazy thing. I My think... dad putts right-handed, but hits left-handed. Okay. <laughs> that's weird. I think, it's, I think it's just a bit at this point. That's what <laughs> that's it does. That's weird. That's legitimately weird. Isn't it also weird? And I think it's probably because, like, sizes of putters are different these days. But whenever I watch, like, old-school golf videos, how low the guys are hunching over to putt... Like, they're bent all the way down to, like, their ankles putting. And I'm like, man, how did Jack Nicholas's back not go out on him a million times? And, like, for whatever reason, I see guys putting today. It doesn't seem like they're bending over as much, probably because the uh, the putter, you know, shafts are longer these days. But uh, whenever I watch old-school golf videos, I'm like, man, those guys are, like, at their shoelaces trying to put these 10-footers. Well, that's why Happy Gilmore <laughs> is not a real movie. That's exactly right. You can't or get, you or can't, is it? You can't uh, get that low. Uh, Shooter McGavin, one of my favorite follows. Good Twitter. I'm follow, yeah. Do you, you have some of the weirder Twitter follows that I think are actually really fun. Yeah. Uh, Shoot, what, Shooter had a couple of good John Morant jokes the other day uh, about fighting kids. Uh-oh. That was funny. But, uh, uh, of course. Ja, what are we doing, but, ja? uh Yeah, no, that. And then I have another one, Introvert Problems, which is really good. I have another one that is, uh, but it's with raptors. They basically take like movie scenes and then they put raptors the dinosaurs instead of like the actual characters in the movie and they have them talk and stuff. That's a really good one too. It the, the Twitter handle handle is called, but with Raptors, but with Raptors. Yeah. Right. That is, that is, uh, yeah, I've showed you a few of those. Those are good. You've got some random, you know, your for you column on your Twitter is so random, but it's also so hilarious at this point in my Twitter career. I just have, I follow so many, uh, football accounts and like film football film all 22 film accounts that's basically all it is is hey look at oregon run the speed option in the 2010 national championship game and i'm like like that was so cool uh and, and random stuff like that but my, my, that's like all that, my ig that, and my twitter is these days that's my that's what mine is only it's college basketball like i just get like 1996 college basketball highlights yeah it's some of those love are it. really really love cool it. love it i love that man what was the first NCAA tournament that you remember watching? Like vividly? Yeah. I, um, I remember the Michigan State beating Florida in the national championship game. Maurice. Uh, Mateen Cleaves. M- Mo Peterson. M- Mateen Cleaves. Charlie Bell's on the team yeah. versus uh, Florida, who I really liked at the time. Teddy Dupay, Mike Miller. Freaking, I loved Teddy Dupay. That was my guy. That Before Jerry McNamara. It was Teddy Dupay for me. He got in some trouble though, but uh, Billy oh, Donovan, yeah, Billy oh, Donovan, that. the coach, uh, yeah. So that that was the, like the first one I really remember. Wait, Billy Donovan was coaching Florida back then. Yeah. Wow. Florida head coach. Well, I knew that he was like the Joe Akeem and Al Horford and Torian Green, but I didn't know that he went even back then before that. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Jeez. I yeah that that team. What was that? Two thousand Michigan State. I want to say two thousand. Yeah. I remember Mo Pete. Mo Pete and did where did he go? Toronto in the NBA? Yeah. Morris Toronto. Peterson. Yep. And then Mateen Cleaves. They had Charlie Bell on that team. Charlie Bell. Yeah. That was I, I would agree. Two thousand was probably one of the first tournaments I remember, I remember really watching and I remember into. as a kid the Michigan Chris Weber timeout game. Now I was like Ooh, six or seven. Wow. Um I wow. I remember like knowing that it was on and knowing it was a big deal, but having no idea what was going on. And I yeah. do remember the Christian Leitner shot. Um, 92? 92 against Kentucky. I was yeah. five. We were on like a family trip or something, and it was on the TV. And I remember yeah. just seeing a shot, and I started running around in circles, like pretending, <laughs> like, a, pretending like I knew what was going on. I had no idea, but I do remember seeing that shot like as yeah. a kid. Isn't that the funny thing about sports is like 
when you just, you know, stumble into those moments as a kid and you get totally caught up in the hype and the emotion. I remember vividly when this is random, but when Jason Elam on Monday Night Football broke the NFL record or I guess technically tied Tom Dempsey with a 63 yard field goal. And I am not a Bronco fan, but as a kid, I was watching that. I can't remember how old I was, but I remember seeing Jason Elam line up the 63 yarder. And even as a kid, I knew I was like, dude, this is a huge, huge deal. And then he lined it up and he made it. I did the same thing you did watching the Christian Leitner shot was like, I started running around my house screaming and I'm just like a little kid. I'm like, no, he made 63 yard field goal. And my mom and my sisters are like, what? Why are you so weird? Is probably what they were saying. But I'm like, are the Seahawks on? I'm like, no, but the Broncos kicker made a 63-yard field goal in my uh, high falsetto voice of being six years old or whatever, how old I was. But it is amazing how those those moments in sports can do that to you. Yeah, it's like the sports core memories. Like what? Are the that's co- it, right? Yeah, that's the really core it. memories, and that's what you knew, Judah. You were a big football fan when you're when you're yeah. cheering Jason Elam on. <laughs> And you, it's 63 yards, dude. It's a field goal, dude. 63. It's a regular season field goal. <laughs> like it's not. I mean, I, I don't want to burst your bubble here. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's a yeah, regular season field no. goal. I think part of it was growing up. I had this book called uh, like in the fans roared, and well, I guess there were two books. And the crowd goes wild was one, and the fans roared was the sequel. And Bob Costas narrated it, and it had all these audio highlights of the biggest moments in sports on a on a CD a CD ROM compact disc rom nice. okay and um it was so cool to me because as a net as an aspiring broadcaster i was hearing all these original calls and got to be exposed to these big historical sports moments as a six seven eight nine year old and they it meant a lot to me and one of the moments was tom dempsey's you know and he had a deformed foot so he's wearing half a half a boot basically when he kicked a 63 yard field goal against detroit um back in like why well, maybe Early 70s, I think, is where we're going with that. If I had to place it, maybe 1970, I don't know. And the radio call of the Saints broadcasters at the time. So I knew that was a huge deal. And then I remember seeing Jason Elam do it, and I was, I lost my mind. I just Then you could put the shoe on the other foot, as it were, and talk core memories, heartbreak edition. Mm. And uh, Game 7, Blazers-Lakers, yeah, I think. It, it's hard to get... As a kid, at least, it's hard to get worse than that. That because, sucked. Yeah, the Kobe alley-oop to Shaq yeah. and Shaq ran down the road. I, uh, when I was in high school, I wrote a huge, giant article, like a, like a memory piece of what you remember from your childhood. I wrote a whole, like, 15-page paper on that game. That has to exist somewhere. It's uh, garbage, probably. <laughs> it, got really, it was one of my really good grades I got. I, could, I was surprised at how well it did. I will say, not far behind... Western Conference Finals Game 7, for me at least, is the Sean Elliott shot with toes inbounds, heels above the sideline, hits the three. What year was that? That was like a year before, right? Or was that after? I'm still trying to to place that. That would have had to be before. Had to have been. Uh, Maybe that was the the 98 season. Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals in 99. So, yeah, you're right. It was the year before. So you had that shot, and that was game two, man. Like, to, in my head, that was like, that won the series. But it didn't. It was game two. of, uh, And I love the final scores of some of these games. 86-85, <laughs> Spurs beat the Blazers that day in, uh, in the Alamo Dome. We like to Jeez. complain about defense in the NBA now. I would much rather watch the games in the 120s than the games in the 80s. Yeah. 
That's just my opinion. A lot of half court, a lot of half court uh, basketball Bricks. there in that man. A lot of beneath the three point line. Point guards just casually dribbling beneath the three point line, and then ten guys basically within twenty feet of the basket it's, trying to determine who scores. It's basically how uh, the Warriors guarded Russell Westbrook last night. Did you see that, Judah? Draymond Green uh, was I just standing underneath the hoop, yeah. letting Russ do whatever he wanted. He wouldn't do anything because he can't, and it's uh. That's got to be a crazy. Someone thing. screenshotted that, and then also had in the bubble when Dame was getting double teamed before half court, and we're like, these are the two versions of the NBA: the Russell Westbrook being left alone, wide open for three with nobody fifteen feet around him, and then you got Damian Lillard being doubled before he gets to half court. Like, those are the two versions. Who do you think is better? <laughs> and to think that Dame versus Russ was a debate at one point. Uh, not here, it wasn't. That's for sure. And that's uh, been made self-evident since then. Uh, all right, we'll bounce a break and come back. Still on the other side, we got some punch and audio. We'll check in with the Portland Golf Show. We'll play the 5 at 5. And uh, we... But today's Friday, right? Do we do What's Your Peeve on Fridays? We do, yeah. Usually. Oh, we got What's Your Peeve? Line up. Let's do what's your peeve. If you've got peas at 503-417-7575, we'll keep them going the rest of the show. And uh, what's on tap as well? What's coming up this weekend? A lot going down this weekend. Newbie in for Gonzano right here on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Gonzano on 750 The Game. We'll have a lot to do coming up in the final hour of the show. Nubian for Katana on the BFT, BFT Radio Network. We'll have uh, What's Your Peef. We'll have Punch It Audio. We'll have uh, a few other things. What's on tap? Uh, we got somebody uh, coming in in a couple minutes talking Portland Golf Show as well. So if that's your thing, I know they're just wrapping up day one down there, but uh, they got day uh, two and three coming up uh, shortly as well. And, of course, in and around all of that is – uh, John Canzano is reporting on Pac-12 expansion. So his reporting today is that the uh, Pac-12 CEO group has voted. And in that vote, they have approved the conference to further explore adding four possible schools to the conference. And those schools would be SMU, San Diego State, who would that third school be? The educated guess there is Colorado State. John is working to confirm that. And then that fourth school, he doesn't really, he's got a guess, but he doesn't really, you know, have the ability to report it quite yet. We've been kicking around some of that. And, you know, frankly, your options are kind of limited, so you can use kind of the uh, deductive reasoning to get down to a few other schools. And UNLV is not one of them. That's uh, in his reporting today. UNLV is not going to be one of these schools uh, San Diego State has been in regular contact with the Pac-12, according to a conference source. Um, Colorado State could be a third team that comes to the conference, but I have a really hard time seeing that happening. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, cool. New stadium. <laughs> like, you had Mike Bobo. And now Mike Bobo is not a good head coach, and now he's the Georgia offensive coordinator. So the the pros are research, what the the education and the stadium. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's all. That's all we got. That's all. That's all the, like, the uh, brain table. All right. 
Uh, it really smells like that's only if Colorado leaves. And so, I look, if, if you think Colorado is staying, why the hell are you adding CSU? You're it not. really does seem like it's all about if Colorado wants Colorado State in. Like okay, we'll let them in, and then we'll have to bring someone else in. But yeah, we don't, but we don't want to do it. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the other. That's the other part of it. Why would Colorado vote to uh, have you know Colorado State come into our conference? Like what that does not benefit them in the slightest. So I don't know. I have a hard time uh, seeing that. So you know, to your point earlier, Stephen, the uh, the Pac-12. Um, John Canzano is saying, hey, look, he thinks. The most likely scenario is the Pac-12 adding only two members. And I would agree with that. Like, to me, that is the most likely scenario, certainly. Um, as opposed to adding three or four members. I, I would be shocked if that happens. But as John points out as well, hey, uh, we've been shocked before. Hey, let's talk a little golf, shall we? Uh, let's bring on Dick Stevens, Portland Golf Show, joining us on the BFT. Uh, Dick, uh, you guys are wrapping up day one down there. Is that right? How's it going so far? We sure are. Yeah, the show closes at five today, so we're just um, almost ready to close her down for day one, but just been fantastic, and uh, everyone is so enthused. It's it's been a really great day down here. It's, it's just exciting to see how many Portland golfers have been coming to this thing for so long. It's, it's the oldest show west of the Mississippi. Wow! What year are we on now? We're almost at thirty. This, I believe, is the twenty ninth year. John Oof. Hines was the guy that started this whole thing. Was just a total gentleman, and uh, we're coming up on our. I believe our our twentieth year as the owner of the show. We, this is one of our favorites. We do them all around the country. This one's this this one's special for us. What makes this city, this market, and this state kind of special for golf? You know, I think the public golfer route, uh, like R O O T, it's really long here. The, 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 the public golfer in Oregon's got a special connection. There's a lot of urban golfers in this marketplace, and. I think because there's so many public courses that are part of the system, that's where it started. You know, that means generations after generations were passing the game on from one, one family to one, one family member to the next. And it just kind of mushroomed. And I think people that play golf in the Northwest, they, they love their, they love the diversity, right? We're within 200 miles of playing Lynx golf. You can play in the mountains. You can play in a meadow. You can play in the forest. You can't get that in Texas or Ohio. Right. Dick Stevens, Portland Golf Show, joining us. Uh, what is coming up for you this weekend? And uh, if people are still interested, uh, go to portlandgolfshow.com. And, and uh, what do tickets and access look like for the next couple of days? Oh, it's, it's wide open. We have an incredible uh, front door bonus package. It includes a free round of golf. There's a two-for-one in there. We're also doing some credits where you get to top golf when you walk in. And uh, clubs for kids on Saturday. So on Saturday, we have... A uh, hundred golf clubs with kids' names on them. So when they come into the, the first tee area, they get a golf club. They get a free round of golf. We got some great teachers up on the stage tomorrow. All the major manufacturers are here with Redtail, and then really cool fitting studio with PXG as well. It's the biggest show we've had in ten years. It's all at the Portland Expo Center. So I imagine as you uh, put this together, Dick, how much of your time is troubleshooting any issues that arise and uh, how much of your time is spent on a golf simulator or at a putting green <laughs> <laughs> i'd say sometimes when you run these shows you've got to take care of things but i do love it when things get a little quiet sometimes we can get in there and have some fun we just had a competition with all the exhibitors and sponsors and speaking of simulators we have a 
We have a great simulator package going in where we're going to have a KP and a long drive all weekend. Uh, there's putting competitions, chipping competitions, uh, lessons. The PGA uh, is here doing lessons all weekend. And then a lot of high tech here as well. We just uh, have a little, uh, about a minute left, Dick, but it's an ever-changing world in the in the sports world, in the, the sports landscape, especially post-COVID. How have you seen this event kind of change and adapt over the years, and, and how is it different now than it may have been in years past? This sport's exploded. It's up 30% because of COVID. So there's a lot more golfers now, and it's how do we retain those golfers? So everyone who's an exhibitor or sponsor, we have 120 different companies in there, they're all trying to figure out how do they tap into that new golfer? How do we keep them? Uh, a lot of them are female. A lot of them are young golfers, Generation X golfers, and people who just want to play nine holes and not have to do it for 18 holes. So it's, it's, it's really retraining ourselves on how to market to a, a new audience while we keep that, that core audience as well. And I think golf is, is going to enjoy another year of growth. I, I don't see it moving flat. This, the sport's on an upswing, and I think it's going to stay there. I agree with that. Uh, I've got my wife into it as well. I've got friends into it, and uh, it's going to keep moving forward. Dick, thanks for taking the time. Congrats on a big day one, and good luck the rest of this weekend. Hey, I really appreciate it. Yeah, PortlandGolfShow.com's got all the details. There he is, Dick Stevens with the Portland Golf Show up against the clock, but glad we could make that work for sure. And, yes, go to PortlandGolfShow.com as well for more details the rest of this weekend. Uh, I hope to get out there a little bit myself as well. Final hour of the BFT on a Friday coming up. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. All right, we'll do the five at five. We got uh, What's Your Peeve? We got What's on Tap? We got a lot of things to get to. Final hour BFT on the BFT radio network. Uh, Blazers uh, already down double digits. <laughs> I was like, ah, the game just started. But, yeah, already down double digits uh, to the Atlanta Hawks. I did think, Stephen, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I was thinking about Chauncey Billups and maybe he's back next year. He's probably back next year. But in the event that he's not for some reason, what coaches are available? I was like, didn't somebody just get let go recently? Oh, yeah. Do you think Nate McMillan would come back to Portland? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Although, in the NFL world, I know it's different, but I saw Vance Joseph, former head coach of the Denver Broncos, is now the defensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos. And that would be weird to me. <laughs> I don't know that I could do that. Like, go back to the same team but have a lesser job. For a lesser, for a lesser job, yeah. He just must love. He's just a football guy. He loves football. He loves it. He loves football. Uh, so I did notice that. I couldn't help but think, would Nate McMillan come back to Portland? Um, obviously, he never uh, he never coached Dame or anything like that. And that actually would be a terrible fit, though. Like <laughs> defense, off- defense, defense. No, like Nate McMillan, he's more. You know, he he's he's eat lessened, your fruits and veggies. Yeah, he's lessened his strict his strictness <laughs> down, but like he's better for like a younger team, right? That you're just trying to develop into pros. So what not happened these, here? Veteran what teams. happened well, in Trey, Atlanta? Trey Young's a problem. And he's no longer a young guy that you're trying to develop. He's like just an alpha now, and that's a, that's, that's, that's not going to jive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
That sounds like Nate. Nate's going to have a hard time winning big then if uh, if he's about young guys and developing young guys into stars. Well, I mean, think about like when Nate McMillan coached the Blazers is because yeah. they were all super young and they weren't developed. And they had Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge, like all those guys. They were developing those people into pros, and that's why he was a good coach. And then after you know a couple of years, they stopped listening to him because they were veterans. That's just what happens at the NBA. You stop listening to your coach. How long can you give a coach then these days before his message starts to go stale? Very quickly. If Very you're, quickly. And especially if you're not going deep into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's three, four years, I think, at the most. That's why I think Chauncey, he has one more year in him, I think. I don't think they want to buy him out yeah. quite yet. But, like, Terry Stotts, like, that's the whole argument with him is people want to say Terry Stotts got the best out of team. Yeah, he did, but that whole last year was so stale, and they stopped listening to him. So, like, you had to change it up, and that just happens. That's what happens in the NBA. It's kind of disappointing, but that's just kind of the reality of that league. I feel like it's different in other sports where sometimes if you just leave the leadership in place, they'll eventually figure it out, you know? And it's sometimes you can look back on guys, wow, year one, year two kind of sucked. But it's like, well, I'm glad they stuck with them because look at how they ended up piecing it together in year six, year seven or whatever. Yeah, like Seattle, Seahawks. You look at them, you look, yeah. at, you look at the Steelers. Like, you know, Mike Tomlin has never had a losing record, but like they started out really bad this year. But it's like there's no talk about him leaving, and then they figured out by the end of the year, and they're just gonna keep growing from that. So well, they, Tomlin, he's he, a different animal. He is a different animal, dude. He, you could give him two players on his football team, and he'd find a way to finish above 500, or not below 500. You he's and me never could be finished, in the backfield. He's never been below 500 ever. You and me could be in the backfield. Yeah. Well, we'd be pretty good. We go nine and eight. Uh, you'd be you'd be the fullback. You'd be yeah. the all-stot to my Pittman. Oof, I'll take all-stot, baby. That's pretty, that's pretty funny. Or I guess you could say Warwick done before Warwick went to uh, Atlanta. Warwick was awesome, man. Golly, loved Warwick done. All right, uh, I could talk former guys that I used to love watching all the time, but let's do the five at five. The five at five. Number one, Kirby Smart talking. And saying that the culture at Georgia is still really strong, despite the recent uh, news with Jalen Carter. He was arrested, of course, in the connection with the January 15th crash that killed a Georgia football player and recruiting staff member. But Kirby Smart told ESPN that uh, the program does not have a culture problem, saying, quote, absolutely not. I would say we're far from it. When you talk to people outside our program that come into it, they talk about what a great culture we do have, and we do ha- and we do an incredible job because I've got a lot of outside entities that come into our program and pour into these young men. Do we have perfect young men and women and players? Not necessarily, but I promise you this, that's the intent for us to grow these guys and get them better, and I feel really good about the culture within our program close quote that is uh kirby's first interview since the uh the death of offensive lineman devin willock and recruiting analyst chandler Lacroix. that uh, jalen carter is uh, caught up in as well with misdemeanor charges of reckless driving and racing he was released on bond after briefly being jailed uh for that as well linebacker jamin dumas johnson uh was also arrested last week on the same charges so Uh, We'll see what unfolds out of that. But Kirby Smart says in his first interview that our culture is just fine. 
In the NFL, number two of our five at five, it looks like the Raiders are planning to use the franchise tag on Josh Jacobs, running back, reigning rushing champion in the National Football League. Franchise tag for running backs this upcoming season will cost just a tick over $10 million. The deadline for teams to use their tag is coming up Tuesday of next week at 1 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, players on the tag have until mid-July to reach a long-term deal, or they can just, of course, play under the uh, the tag number at $10 million. Jacobs led the NFL 1,653 rushing yards. He joined Marcus Allen in 85 and Clem Daniels in 63 as the only players in Raiders history to win the league rushing title. 25 years old, Josh Jacobs. And uh, he says, I'm not insulted by the franchise tag, but a little bit as a running back who craves long-term security in the NFL these days, you got to want a little bit of long-term security. I guess get your money, though. Get your money when you can if you're a running back and they're not going to pay you. I want to ask you this because you are the football guy, Judah. Like, how important are running backs nowadays? Do you, do you want to go out and pay a guy $10 million a season, or can you just spread that around to three or four different dudes and they can do the same exact job? Depends on who your quarterback is. <laughs> um, and for the Raiders, we're talking about a non-playoff team with a first-year head coach an all-pro receiver, and a quarterback that's about to be expensive. To me, the tag makes sense because Josh Jacobs, interesting career, came on pretty strong then, had a bad year a couple he, years ago. and seemed then like he was done this year. Was like kind of done. They were phasing yeah. him out. And then just like, boom, revitalized. To answer your question, no, you don't give big money right to running backs. It's kind of the rule of thumb unless they are like – your heart soul of your team like derrick henry uh, in tennessee right like you can't imagine the titans playing the way the titans play without derrick henry right so to me that's almost different but if you're mahomes yeah you're spreading around between ceh a seventh round pick in pacheco and a veteran guy in in uh, mckinnon and guess what it works for him but it also depends on your offensive line the, the reason the chiefs were able to do that they ended up being really good run blockers this year and the Raiders were really good run blockers this year as well along the O-line. So, you know, it's it's hardly ever an A-B comparison. But by and large, y- you don't pay running backs in the NFL these days. But do you tag them? Yes, you can tag them, especially when they lead the league in rushing the year before and they're 25 years old. I think it's a win for the Raiders in this regard as well. Um, Elsewhere... John Catano is reporting on JohnCatano.com. Of course, this is number three in our five at five. John reporting that the Pac-12 CEO group has voted to approve further exploration of adding not one, not two, not three, but four teams to the Pac conference. Four teams. Uh, The CEO group is saying, okay, you can explore the addition of four teams. What does that really mean? I don't know, but I would be uh, willing to admit that it's going to be two teams or no teams. It is not going to be four teams. I will be absolutely shocked if this conference adds four teams, but it might add two teams, and those two teams would be Southern Methodist University and uh, San Diego State. The third team, I guess, would be Colorado State, but come on, that's not happening. Cool stadium, that's all you got. And the fourth team, who the hell knows? But... Maybe it's it's Rice or something like that. You would say Houston, but Houston's already got a Big 12 deal in place. So, you know, slim pickings if you want to add a, add a fourth team and become the Pac-14. But come on, we all know that's not going to happen. Kind of a cool 
kind of a cool nugget, but there's no way that the Pac-12 is going to become the Pac-14 at any point, in my opinion. We've been shocked before, but uh, I'd have to be shocked again in order for that to come through. Um, number four of the five at five as well. You got the Blazers in action right now, and they are down big already to the Atlanta Hawks. 38-24, second quarter. So thanks for showing up, Blazers. Dame uh, has 17 of the 24 points, by the way. Gross. What? Right. what? I thought Jeremy Grant was going to be good. What happened? He's not that good. <laughs> what happened to Jeremy Grant? I, I don't know. If anyone knows, please let me know. But uh, <sighs> I did do I did do a little research on Jeremy Grant uh, just to prove that point. In uh, the year 2022, when he was playing for the Blazers, he was awesome. And there's no there's no way around that. Um, he was 43.9% uh, on three-pointers. But since the turn of the year, 2023, 33.3% on three-pointers on about the same amount of attempts. So he's really fallen off and uh, struggling as of late. That's so bad. Got the contract and uh, – or well, what, what did we get the, him for? He hasn't got the contract yet. He's a free there's agent. A, yeah, that's right. At the end of the year, he'll be eligible. That sucks. For, then he should be made. <laughs> for a lot of money he'll be eligible for. So it'll be that's a, one of those things to be really interesting to see what the Blazers do because he holds all the leverage. Well, if the he holds more him, leverage if he was good at three shooting the three. But if the Blazers let him walk for nothing, they turned a first-round pick literally into nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's you true. You can't just let these guys go for nothing. Like, you have to bring him back, but how much money – do you bring it back for? Because so then is he, it a little bit like if we're already thinking about next year, are we already saying, ah, it's okay if Jeremy Grant is struggling right now because maybe it brings his number down a little bit. That would be great. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the good way to look at it. I miss the days when we when were you tried hoping to win. that. The, yeah, I miss the summers when I got all excited about Hito Turkaloo in the airport. Chandler Parsons. I miss the summers when I was staying up all night hoping that Nobody would match the Blazers' offer sheet for Paul Millsap. I miss those days. Trenton Hassel. Remember that, that was a That was one, too, wasn't it? Golly. We've they, got some skeletons, man. They had, the, they had the press conference and everything for Trenton Hassel, and then the T-Wolves matched it. That's, that's really... How do you let that happen? I don't know. How do you let that happen? It's a real Blazery thing to do. It's the Blazers. Yeah. Maybe they were trying to like force the T Wolves hand. We'll have the we'll have the uh, press conference. They're like, all right, screw that. We're gonna bring him back. Uh, fifth thing of our five and five. You've got uh, Jordan Addison, the former Pitt receiver, transferred to USC. Now coming into the NFL draft, he uh, apparently is talking to his former Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett, who is of course now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Jordan Addison is telling Kenny Pickett, he said, "Hey, come get me." Addison said, hey, man, if we reunite, that'd be good. That'd be really cool, real easy transition. Come get me. So, obviously, you don't have a uh, a dog in the fight, as it were. You can't choose where you're going to be drafted when you're somebody like Jordan Addison. But uh, kind of interesting to see that he wants to be reunited with Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. And that is our 5-5 five five here on a Friday BFT. What did you think of Jordan Addison at USC this year, Judah? A little underwhelmed. That's what I thought. Bilitnikov winner, right? And then go to USC. Now banged up a little bit too, right? Um, didn't play at the end of the year. And I think that hurt USC a little bit, obviously. And frankly, Caleb wins the Heisman, but there weren't a lot of great individual players in college football. I'm, I'm going to be honest. We've had a lot better Heisman trophy winning seasons than the one we got last year from the sophomore Caleb Williams. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, USC is going to be littered with talent. But I had a little bit higher hopes for Addison. But I, part of me is wondering if a lot of it was just tied to his physical ability and and lack of ability to be on the field. But, at, um, you know, at the same time, I think he'll still be a pretty good receiver. The receivers in the draft are interesting this year because a lot of the guys that had some star power going into the season in college last year, guys like Addison, uh, guys like the the TCU cat, um, can't remember his Quentin name. Quentin Johnston. Quentin Johnston. People aren't really as high on Quentin Johnston as they once were. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. We were all like, this guy is sick. Uh, he might not be in the first round. Apparently, he's not that fast. Well, and he didn't play. He didn't play for a whole year. <laughs> and he basically. didn't play. Yeah. yeah, for a whole year. So, a lot of questions, which means there's the a, a different group of receivers that will probably be going off the board first. I'm. It looks like the linebacker class is is kind of weak. Noah Sewell, of course, uh, draft eligible this year, but ran a pretty bad forty. Um, not that that's like the be all end all, you know, but in this day and age of the uh, the NFL, look at who the Seahawks drafted in the first round a few years ago, right? Jordan Brooks, he flies like the wind, right? Sideline to sideline, that's part of his calling card. Uh, as an inside linebacker, Noah Sewell ain't gonna be able to do that, so that's unfortunate for him. But hey, you still need guys to stop the run too. So there's gonna be a world where Noah Sewell can play, but. His draft stock's probably not as high as it yeah, probably D- could have been. DJ Johnson, Oregon, he ran a good 40. He ran, he ran better than he, Noah. He ran a 449, yeah. uh, 6'4, 260 pounds. So, I mean, good for him. That's a, that's a good combine right there. It's for another him. one of these guys. And DJ Johnson, man, talk about versatile, play both sides of the ball over his collegiate career and actually do it pretty well. Wasn't there uh, one of those games like he was making game ending sacks? Uh, in one of the the games for Oregon too, I, was that two years ago maybe that uh, that he was sealing wins, he was the closer uh, on the D line. So I'm impressed by that, and it's just one of those things. It's kind of weird. It's like obviously Christian Gonzalez was at Oregon for one year, Luke Musgrave, you know he didn't put up a ton of volume at his time in Corvallis, but you pick up your head, you're like he's going in the first round. Like he, like he people great... love Luke Musgrave because of his his size and his skill. It's like and it, how fast he is at six six. The, pedig- the six, pedigree, five, like it's unbelievable. And yeah, the pedigree. Yeah, uh, he had a great Senior Bowl. He had a couple really nice catches. Showed that speed, yeah. like you said. Yeah, I mean he's he's the type of guy people that freaking love him. May just just pop in the NFL. So we'll talk uh, we'll talk draft a little bit more uh, before the uh, the show's out. And if you want to join the conversation, you can at 503-417-7575. We will have what's your peeve coming up and uh, what's on tap as well. So if you've got a peeve, something to get off your chest. What's been bothering you lately? 503-417-7575. It is sponsored by some uh, dental restoration company, I believe, which is, you know, hey, that's also good because we all need good dentists in our lives. So we'll uh, get that sponsored benchmark on the other side. What's your peeve? Line it up right now. 503-417-7575. Back to the bald Face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the show. It's uh, time to get a little bit uh, PV here. Late on a Friday, newbie in for Gonzano. 
503-417-7575. Get it off your chest. What's your peeve? What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. That's it. Revolution Dental Implant Center. Thank you, Rev. Uh, 503-417-7575. Dave is in Vancouver, and he's going to uh, lead us off here with his peeve. What you got, Dave? Well, yeah, so, you know, you guys started out the show. You told us John's not going to be there today, and you guys have done great. Judah, Stephen, you guys rock. All right. It's been a great show. I've been listening the whole time since 3 o'clock. But, okay, John's in uh, Las Vegas, right? So he doesn't have 10 minutes to call in. And give us a little update or just something. <laughs> this this will piss him off. Uh, but uh, if he hears this, but uh, I don't know. Tell well, us what the hell he's doing. We'll be All sure right. to send it to him to you know, make him mad. Yeah. Uh, we. <laughs> frankly, Dave, There's I agree with you. I mean, what the hell? Honestly. There's 36 minutes left of the show. He can still call in. Yeah, I agree. That'd be really, that'd be really cool. I appreciate uh, that, Dave. Thanks for the peeve. He's right. I mean, where the hell's John? I don't know. Honestly. I think we should all just say that's our peeve. That's our <laughs> peeve today. Come on, John. Uh, PTO. He actually did He did submit for the PTO and got approved. So technically this is an approved day off for him. Uh, but I agree with you, Dave, in Vancouver. I mean, seriously, where, where's John when you need him? Um, but, you know, we have been talking about what he's been reporting today. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, I mean he should have uh, he should have called in on his PTO day. I agree. Uh, a little bit disappointed that he hasn't, but what can he do? You know, he's just enjoying that Vegas life. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. If you've got peeves, you can share them here, and uh, we'll we'll share them along the way ourselves. Uh, let's go out to the Hillsboro Airport. <laughs> Ray is at the Hillsboro Airport. Hey, Ray. Hey, what's up? Yeah. I got a beef with uh, hard, uh, hard-headed, hard-of-hearing guy. Hey, don't be so proud. Go to Costco, get a little hearing aid, and hear what's going on. <laughs> I'm getting tired of repeating myself. Everything I say is, huh, what, huh, what? That's my beef. And Ray, is this have to do? Do you work at the airport, or do a lot of people you talk with work at the airport? Is that why they have hard hearing? Yeah, that's got something to do with it. Probably uh, <laughs> sitting around listening to Phil Knight jack up that jet. It's pretty loud. Thanks for the phone call, Ray. Oh my gosh, he said, uh, "Humble yourself and get some hearing aids." You gotta be <laughs> humble. You gotta be humble. Yeah. It's a humility thing. I love that. Oh man. Uh, nobody's safe on this segment. What's your peeve? 503-417-7575. Somebody's pissed at John for not calling in on his off day, and uh, somebody's pissed at the guy that keeps saying, what would you say? What? Yeah, people What's like that? Couldn't hear, yeah. you, I can't hear you. It's like, dude, 
just get get some hearing aids, that, all right? Bite that actually bullet. happened to me the other day. My wife got super mad at me because I, I literally couldn't hear her for some reason. I don't know. She was just speaking really quiet, and I said, huh, a bunch of times. And she's like, you need to listen. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, I am. I, I literally cannot <laughs> hear you. I'm, I'm not messing around with you. I'm not being, you know, I'm not looking at my phone. I yeah. just cannot hear you for some reason. And I blamed headphones working radio. That, that was what I did. Yeah. Well, that's true, man. Like, that's part of it. I, I turned sounds all the way up, as it were. And my wife likes listening to things. She can listen to things at a much quieter volume than me. And like TV volume, for instance, she's got it like on seven or eight, like pretty low. But it, she can hear it just fine. For me, if I'm going to be watching something with the sound on, I need it up a little bit, like right around 20 or something, you know, where where it's part of the listener and user experience. I mean, I can't listen to something on seven, like I need it. I probably need earbuds or something. Uh, 503-417-7575. What's your peeve? Get it off your chest. Don't take it with you going into the weekend. All right? That's not something you want to do. It's not healthy. It's not right. If something's bothering you, you know, figure it out. Get some words behind it and call in and share it with me. Uh, I'd appreciate it. You can also tweet at Judah Newby. You can tweet at 750 The Game. Uh, let's keep the line moving. Uh, let's go out to the Couve. Phil is in Vancouver. Hey, Phil. Hey, what's going on? So, you know, we all work a lot. My peeve is when, when folks are on PTO and they're they're required to to call in or to do any form of work whatsoever. When it's PTO time, that should be your time to separate and you know recoup and be ready to come back as strong as you are on a normal normal day. <laughs> Uh, I would, if I didn't know better, I would say that that was John Canzano calling in to uh, defend himself just now. It's fair though. It is fair, but you know what? Uh, I don't know. So give me, let's get Phil in Vancouver. Whose voice sounds a lot like the guy that just called from the Hillsborough airport is also defending. He's, he's going against Dave in Vancouver. I've got a lot to unpack here, but Phil in Vancouver is saying Dave in Vancouver is wrong. Guys that are on PTO shouldn't be required to call in. I appreciate that, Phil. I don't think Phil in Vancouver is the same as, uh, what was it, Ray at the Hillsborough Airport. But uh, I feel like they're different, but at the same time, they kind of sounded like they had similar voices. And at the same time, it sounds like we've got a Vancouver war going between Phil and Dave, which I'm, I'm all here for that. All for it. All for the Couve being ripped apart. That that's that's the takeaway. You got north, south, east, west. Yeah, how do they? Uh, it's an east, west town, isn't it? I don't know. I don't live there. I don't either. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm an I feel guy. like you can go to the right. I think you go to the 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 east. That's more like Delta Park, and like the west is like, you know, Expo Center and all that good stuff. I don't know. Sure. If, if I'm not I'm not from there either. Wherever the the Hooters is is somewhere over there. I don't know. <laughs> I, to re, I honestly don't know. All I know is that there's there was a Hooters clock along the freeway at one point. That's all I know. Yeah, that go, I don't, go, that's not. Even I can't a, remember what direction, but yeah, going north into Washington. Going north into Washington, it's, it's on not a your, Hooters anymore, though. It used to be a Waddles, by the way. Before Hooters, before Hooters, it was a Waddles. Really? Yeah. Back in the day, like that's the original. What is Waddles? It was like a the an original restaurant that just in just in Oregon in the Hooters category or like no 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 it's just oh, like a regular... okay because it kind of sounds Hooters ish Waddles kind of sounds Hooters ish if you know what I mean and I just don't I mean I'm just trying to learn my my state history is all my Vancouver history um all right it looks like 
we're getting we're getting a little war battle going on between Dave and Phil here. So I I don't know. You guys can hash it out on the side. I'm not here for. I'll share what my peeve is as well. Uh, because I got to figure out what what is my peeve this week. Uh, a lot of it is listening to you guys trying to argue about uh you know best sides of Vancouver. Like, you know, you can have that debate. You can have that argument. And thanks for standing up for John, you know, as well. John is on PTO, so he doesn't necessarily have to call in, but it does sound like a lot of heated debate going on whether or not John should be calling in. It sounds like the debate we had when Stephen took time off for his birthday. I said we should call him up because Stephen likes us and would want to check in with us on his birthday. John was saying, oh, no, we we can't call him up. You know, that'd be poor form. And I'm like, I don't know. I think you would appreciate hearing from us. What was the verdict on that? I mean, I, if I had to choose, I would prefer you not to call me. Um, Jeez, I was not, wrong. It's not a, not I a really big thought, deal. I really I, thought you'd want to hear from us. I definitely would have answered, and I definitely would have like talked and been fine with it and faked it. But if I had to choose, it would have been, uh, let's just leave Stephen alone here. But uh, I know I know you missed me, Judah. That's, I guess that's John the is right. Thing. John was right then. Uh, even uh, Blind Squirrel gets one every now and then, that's for sure. All right. We'll bounce a break and come back. Uh, get more of your peeves at 503-417-7575. And, Get your what's on tap as well. Nubian for Kazano right here on a Friday BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Kazano on 750 The Game. Thanks, everyone, for your uh, peeves. That was great. We'll get uh, what's on tap and preview what's coming up this weekend in a little bit right here on uh, the BFT. Newbie and for Kazano, John in Vegas, and he'll be back Monday here on the BFT as well. But in the meantime, let's rip through a little punch it audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Kirby Smart says Georgia does not have a culture problem. Of course not. Uh, Despite the arrest of Jalen Carter, of course, uh, with the misdemeanor charges for reckless driving and racing. And despite the arrest of his national champion quarterback, Stetson Bennett. Stetson was talking about his arrest this past January while at the NFL Combine. Punch it. I understand, uh, you know, why that can't happen. Um, You know, it was... uh, I've talked to coaches about it, talked to GMs, um, you know, apologized to my family. That's who I, you know, felt worse about. Um, felt like I let them down uh, because no matter where I go now, um, you know, and even without all this, uh, you know, I, I've got the, an obligation on the fourth. Um, you know, can't do that if uh, your last name's Bennett, um, and I know better. Yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, I'm sure his family is. Uh point of contact number one with who to get things right with public intoxication by the way is what he got arrested for in dallas uh after winning the national championship a couple of weeks before that so uh stats and bad i don't know how it will affect his draft stock if any um i don't really think that he's got a huge nfl future but sometimes we see these guys stick around longer than you might ordinarily expect 
to the NBA we go. And Ty Lue talking about the Clippers. Since they got Russell Westbrook, they have yet to win a game. They've lost four in a row. Punch it. No, I didn't. You know, and I thought, um, you know, it would take some time to kind of figure out rotations and figure out how we want to play. But um, to lose, you know, like I said, four in a row, I didn't see that coming. But, you know, it's been, it's been spots where we play well. And then there's been spots where we haven't played well. And Steven, is it as simple as uh, they got Russ, and when you do that, you take a risk like that, it's hard to win? <laughs> What's going on with the Clippers? I, I think it's a little unfair to blame it all on Russ. Um, I, I do think he's one of those type of players where it is a little boomer bust, right? Like, he could be really good or really bad. I do think it's going to be uh, a little bit of time before they figure it out, but it's not looking good, right? Like, he, he, was, he was fine. Because the thing is, in L.A. with the Lakers, Judah, like his 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 plus minus was good this year. Like he was a he was a positive. He was a net positive this year for that Lakers team. So I don't necessarily think like it's all Russ's fault, but it just he's such an easy scapegoat. Didn't they have that two OT game? Were they the ones with the Kings that went so that went two yeah. OTs like with yeah. a million point? Like they easily should have could have won that game. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. Uh, they had the Paul George, you know shot at the end of regulate was that against denver right that's, not that, that long ago like they had the, denver on the ropes that's also the thing they've played some tough games yeah. right like it's not like they're playing just a bunch of easy teams you know you lose to the kings i know that doesn't sound like a good loss but a hundred and million to a hundred and million and one but the, king, the kings are a good team this year yeah. and you know you lose to the warriors uh like you said the nuggets like they're playing good teams when they've had westbrook i'm not gonna put it all on westbrook yet. i think it'll, i think it'll work and i think clippers will be fine but uh, it doesn't look good for Russ, I would say. College hoops. How about the fighting Shantae Leggins and the Portland Pilots? Punch it. Gorosito. He'll create a wide open three. Look for Sholin again. Back Christian Sholin. 16 made threes for the Portland Pilots. Let's go, dude. Portland Pilots, they win uh, yesterday. They were victorious. Uh, who'd they play yesterday? The Toreros of San Diego fighting Steve Lavins. <laughs> I totally forgot he was coaching again. They, uh, oh, man, they have Eric great. Williams, former Duck, on their team, too. Isn't he left-handed? Yeah. Like number 50 or something? Yep. I don't know why I know that. <laughs> you know who's also left-handed? I think his number was 50, former Duck. Jovan Catron. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't left-handed. Oh, I played. Left I played against Jovan Catron once. In my head, he was left-handed. He wasn't. No. Uh, when I was at Concordia, we went down, traveled to Eugene, took on Jovan Catron and the Ducks. Well, you would know better than me. I don't know why in my head he was left-handed, but. <laughs> BYU five and a half point favorite over uh, Portland tonight. When does that start? Six. Tips off at six. Yeah, I'm All excited. Right. I'm watching it. Come on, UP. Let's go. Let's upset BYU and keep got, this train moving. They got a shot. They got a shot. Is this the quarterfinals now, or uh, this bracket's uh, so weird? So second. It's the second round. Oh, it's the second round. I believe it may be the quarter. Uh, I'm trying to. They yeah. call it the second round though. Yeah, okay. I don't think it's the quarters quite yet. Got it. Staying in college hoops to the women's side. Beavers lose to Colorado last night, so the season ends for Scott Ruick and company, but he was proud of his team. Punch it. Uh, I was really proud of our uh, the fight that this group had. They had the right mindset entering the game. Um, played extremely hard throughout the game. Uh, it was very physical, of course. Um, battled through it. Uh, Colorado, you know, had several runs uh, that were created by their defensive disruption, um, you know, to pull away from us. 
and keep us at bay. Uh, and then, you know, clearly shot a lot of free throws tonight and um, made a lot of free throws. And it was too much for us to overcome, and so give them a lot of credit. Um, but I couldn't be uh, more proud of this group for uh, just sticking with um, everything this year. You know, some programs have came out of COVID in better positions than others. I think this is an interesting spot for Scott Ruick in Oregon State. You trust the culture that he's built there, but he's saying that uh, prior to COVID, Scott Ruick was saying that he may have lost like four or five transfers in 20-something years of college coaching. Like, he doesn't lose transfers. But after COVID, he lost a lot of transfers in the last few years, and that's kind of unlike a Scott Ruick program. So you go into this offseason with Oregon State, and you're like, I wonder how many of their key players will be coming back. If they all do come back, you're talking about a team that could be really good and not the 11th seed in the conference, but maybe top six, top five, or even better. Uh, they had the freshman of the year in the conference. Uh, I think Reagan Beers, and she, uh, she'll she be coming back, um, you would think. Uh, Talia Van Olhofen, a great player. I think she got hurt down the stretch. She might be back. So... If everybody comes back and that continuity is there, then, you know, Scott Ruick and the Beavs could get back to their winning ways that we're so accustomed to that program to being at year in, year out. Meanwhile, Kelly Graves and the Ducks, their season ended to top seed Stanford in the uh, Pac-12 tournament as well. They're right on the bubble, Kelly Graves and his program. Now they got to wait to find out their postseason fate. Punch it. I'll use this moment to say that I, I hope we're uh, a team that's included in that field. I think... Uh... You know, with a net rating of 18 going into this tournament and playing Stanford relatively close isn't going to change that. Plus, with a win, hopefully we've done enough. I've never been one of those guys that that watches and prays and, you know, if we make it, we make it. Uh, I think we're good enough. This is by far the toughest conference in the country. Um, But tonight we just uh, just didn't have enough. Uh, Stanford, obviously really freaking good and uh cameron brink really freaking good beaverton native she's awesome one of steph curry's favorite players and uh she had a double double for stanford a really hard player to uh contain and for kelly graves and the ducks i mean you had india rogers go for 28 points in the win over u-dub and then you had um uh uh, Tahina Pow Pow go for 28 points in the loss to Stanford. So you got had some scoring, but outside of Tahina Pow Pow, uh, Oregon did not shoot well yesterday at all. They shot in the 20% uh, against Stanford. So now they're right on the bubble. But hey, if you're going to be on the bubble, at least you're in the Pac-12 and you've got a net rating in the top 20, you have a decent chance to get into the tournament. Also, keep in mind, the selection show for the women's tournament and the men's tournament is both on Sunday, March 12th. I know in years past, they used to have the selection show for the women's tournament on Monday, Selection Monday, but I just looked it up recently. It's uh, the men's show is on CBS at like 3 o'clock, and then the women's show is Sunday, March 12th, uh, 5 o'clock on ESPN. So you'll, we'll all find out where the Ducks go, both on the men's side and the women's side, uh, by that point on March the 12th. Uh, Jonathan Smith talking about his Beaver team. He was on the BFT earlier this week with John Cazzano. Spring football, of course, getting ready to start for the Beavs next week. Punch it. The talent slash the competition in the QB room, not just with DJ, but Aiden Childs arriving here as well. Freshman that we think has got a huge upside and Ben returning. So we got three guys there that we're, we're anxious and excited about. How would you rank the quarterback room at Oregon State 1-2-3 right now, Stephen, uh, between the newcomer, 
in uh, Uyunglele, the newcomer freshman in Aiden Childs, and the returner in Ben Gilbranson. I want to put Aiden Childs at number two. I think DJ number one right now. But without seeing Aiden Childs play on the college level, like I would have to put Ben Gilbranson at number two right now. Yeah. But I think potentially, like everything you read, everything you hear about Aiden Childs, like he's going to be a good one. Frankly, like that might be my sneaky favorite battle of the spring is Childs versus Gilbranson for the two I, spot. And I mean, everything you read about Aiden Childs, he plays more like DJ Uyunglele than Ben Gilbranson does, right? Yeah. DJ, DJ can move a little bit. Gilbranson, one of the things that I always said, like it was tough because he, he couldn't move out of the pocket very well. The offensive line was great, but he couldn't like scramble, make a play. Both Aiden Childs and DJU, man, they can uh, they can move out of the pocket. Well, you just have to watch the Civil War game when Gilbranson gets out of the pocket a little bit and tries to make a play, tries to force something a little bit. He gets picked off by none other than Christian Gonzalez, who spent one year at Oregon and, and was awesome. Gonzalez ran the 40, did some of the uh, the physical competition at the uh, Indy Combine today. Here's how his 40-yard dash sounded. He ran uh, one and two, so he ran it twice and improved with his second time. Here's how both sounded on NFL Network. Punch it. It's pretty easy. Four, four, four. With the Apple Watch on. Yep. That's the thing. Yeah. If he had an Apple <laughs> Watch on, that's four, three, easy. We've seen the South Carolina corners. Yes. We've seen the Maryland corners. Gonzalez moving. Four three eight. That's second more like time. it. We've seen the South Carolina corner. So there you go. He had the uh, four three eight was his second time, and uh, four 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 was his first time. So Christian Gonzalez running the four three eight. That's pretty freaking good. Pretty fast. So good and good for him because four 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 is fine. You know, obviously it's fast, but he was rumored to be among the fastest players at the combine this week. So getting the four three eight on the board was really good for him that second time around. Uh, and lastly, in Punch and Audio, man, I mean, what to make of Anthony Richardson? I have no idea. But Matt Miller, uh, NFL draft scout and analyst on ESPN, here's his take on the Florida QB. Punch it. I talked to a handful of scouts last night who had been in interviews where they had all four of the top quarterbacks back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Every single one of them said Anthony Richardson is the best quarterback interview they've had this year. Some of them say it's the best quarterback interview they would have had last year. Really? He is crushing it in the interview portion. What happens behind us on the field is important. It's fun. That's why we're here. But the interviews are why the players are here, and he's crushing it. So if you can win the combine as a quarterback, you do it in these meetings, 15-minute speed dating yeah. that they do, and he's crushing it right now. All right. Yeah, that's uh, – I'll take it. You know, I, Anthony Richardson, one of those guys, it's like, well, Florida is not that good. Obviously, they beat Utah, but – they kind of struggled throughout the year. Dan Mullen, obviously, when he was there, wasn't comfortable starting him. Instead, went with Emory Jones. It's like, what the hell? Like, looking at that in retrospect, it's like, what? But uh, the fact that he's interviewing as well as he is, I think that matters. I think I'm impressed by that little anecdote from Matt Miller. So, in addition to all the the arm talent, the you know the running ability. The fact that he's got a good head on his shoulders, that matters. And the odds have gone in his way to yeah. be the number one overall pick. I mean, he started out 50 to 1, something like that. He's up to 5 to 1 right now. He's third right behind Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. Bryce Young minus 190, Stroud plus 400. Like, he's ahead of Will Levis now on the draft boards, apparently, on, you know, on the betting market. So it is real. And you, you saw the talent against Utah. Like, yes, he can run, but he also has a great arm, too. So it's one of those 
high upside picks, but also one of those picks where it's like, is he even ready to play day one? Probably not. No, that's that's amazing. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap it up on a Friday BFT, a little uh, what's on tap and uh, what's on TV this weekend. Nubian for Kazano on the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kinzano on 750 The Game. Kanzano will be back Monday. Newbie in for Kanzano on this Friday. Thanks for being along for the ride, Stephen Vaughn, as well. Next Gen Stats says that Christian Gonzalez earned a 92 overall draft score after his combine performance, best among his position group. And uh, he hit key elite thresholds for a corner, including a uh, 438 40-yard dash and a vertical of 41.5 inches. So really good day for Christian Gonzalez at the NFL combine. So that's good. And I think if you're Christian Gonzalez, like he was already projected to be, you know, top 10, top 15, you just don't want to hurt your draft stock. Not only did he not hurt it, he probably improved it at the draft combine. So, you know, awesome for him. Awesome. Such a smooth, smooth athlete. The kid out of Illinois, I think Witherspoon, I think might be his name. A lot of people think that he is the top corner in the draft this year, but I think Christian's putting the heat on a little bit. So, uh, so that's good. Um, I didn't talk as much about Musgrave today. I've got uh, I've got more Musgrave takes. Uh, I, I think he's I think he's gonna be a dude. That's that's where I'm starting. I I'm think he's I gonna can, be a dude. <laughs> so you think a, you think a first round pick? Yeah, I'm hoping I can bet on that. I think that'd be a good number. I can't wait to dive into draft him value. or Michael Mayer. You know, Mayer is gonna get all the headlines, right? But the way Dalton that people Kincaid. are Kincaid as well. But he's coming back, right? Or is he going pro? I think. I keep I forget Keithy and Kincaid. Who's who? I thought I read that he's not gonna do stuff at the combine. He's not doing stuff at the combine. Okay, uh, you're right. Kincaid is uh, is going into the the draft. Musgrave might be the first tight end though taken off the board. I'm just saying. You think so? Huh? That's got to be a good number. I would say out. get look for value on that. Yeah. Uh, what's on tap? Let's smash this sucker in. Now it's time for what's on tap and what's on TV at the Independent. On the BFT. All right, Stephen, what's on tap? College basketball, baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just see if you if you knew. What are you watching right now? You're always watching a college basketball game. Um, I'm actually not watching one right now. I was watching uh, Denver take on North Dakota a little bit earlier during the show, but didn't go my way. So, is your middle name Sicko? Kind of. Yeah. It's Steven Sicko Vaughn. Another good Twitter follow is uh, the Sicko's Committee. They, uh, They're great. Bad college basketball, bad college football games. But, no, I mean, um, there's going to be a lot of college basketball. There's some conference tournaments that are either wrapping up over the weekend or just starting. And then it's the end of the Pac-12 season. US, uh, UCLA taking on Arizona Saturday night. Bill Walton, Dave Pash, going to be a good one. That's a 7, 7 p.m. tip. So That's great. I'll be watching that one. Um, you can listen to that one right here on the BFT Radio flagship, 750 The Game and 750thegame.com, Arizona and UCLA from Westwood One as well. You can also hear the Pac-12 Women's Championship game Sunday on 750 The Game. Um, probably going to be uh, Stanford and somebody in that one. And tomorrow, get your Apple TVs out. Get your MLS season passes out, even though this game's for free on the Apple TV app. It's also on Fox with John Strong and Stu Holden. Portland Timbers on the road at LAFC, reigning MLS Cup champions. That's going to be a fun one as well. And, of course, you can hear every Timbers match on the radio, of course, on 750 The Game and 750thegame.com. 
and uh, all that good stuff. And you will be here Saturday, Stephen, to make sure uh, that broadcast goes smooth. So appreciate you for that. Hey, thank you. Uh, it's been a great show. Not here for a long time. Just a good time to borrow a Kanzanoism. One of many. John will be back Monday. Follow him on John Kanzano BFT. JohnKanzano.com where he breaks all his Pac-12 expansion news like he did again today. Judah Newby in for John Kanzano. We'll see you next time on the BFT.